The Players' Championship is almost here. Everybody, this is Brent Martineau. Do you have your tickets yet? Win a couple of weekly Captain's Club tickets and a shopping spree in the new PGA Tour fan shop with me. Yeah, I'll dress you for the players. Enter to win right now on the contest page at ESPN690.com. Win tickets to the Players' Championship and a shopping spree at the Players' Championship from ESPN 690. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Boxing is back. At least for a weekend. I, I was way off. I benched 175 pounds this morning six times. Flex. Flex so early in the show. What does that translate to the combine in 225. Not a dang thing. Nothing. Yep. Can I even do 225? Probably That's, not. We should do the, 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 the kind of like a, like a mock combine for you. Yeah. What other drills would be done? Well, the 40-yard dash, obviously. I can do that. I know. Well, and how fast frankly, can you do that, Brent? Well, it won't be blazing speed, but sure. I can do that, and it won't look as bad as, as some others who have tried around here in the media. Fair enough. Let's just say that. I like it. What other drills? Non-football. The jump, vertical. Broad jump, vertical jump, L drill. Do I have to, Shuttle. at the start of this combine, stand here in my underwear and get measured? You know what? I mean, uh, for the sake of our viewership, yes or no. I mean, usually you can go on Cam Soda for that type of thing. But if people are interested, I say let's crank up the viewership a little bit. From my perspective, um, I don't need you two men. But if you feel comfortable doing that, then by all means, man. I'm, I'm not going to stop you uh, doing what you want to do, Brent. Why don't any of the... Folks that are standing there in their underwear at the combine come out in like uh, SpongeBob or just like hearts on their underwear. Yeah, you have to abide by the combine uniform, Brent. Oh, there's sponsored by Under Armour. Yeah, yeah. Well, Under Armour, SpongeBob. <laughs> well, Under Armour's got combination. Like, they got like Marvel stuff. I thought like they got like Captain America. I think. And I guess this so. is a job interview, so you can't take it lightly. Yeah, but let's be honest, man. For my job interview here, did I really take it that serious? I don't know. Not really. Uh, yeah, not. yeah. I kind of. It's it's who you know. It's who you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is who you know. Uh, how about that? A job interview that starts off with you standing there in your underwear. Yeah. Nobody else on earth would have a job interview that would start that way. Not even close. Wait, man. you guys didn't have to do that for this job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brent Martino, Austin Lane. That's Coos. Uh, hope everybody had a good weekend. And Jags have some news. Marcel Darius uh, released, uh, according to Ian Rappaport. And uh, Jags, by the way, have not issued any anything on this. But Rappaport uh, had a couple of uh, tweets today. Jake Ryan as well. Think about this. For the same amount of money that it costs the Jaguars to have Jake Ryan, Blake Bortles had similar production for the same amount of money in 2019 for the Jaguars. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake Ryan obviously injured and then had a setback. Uh, yeah. They had hoped for more from Jake Ryan. And, and by the way, their linebacking unit looked they could have really used Jake Ryan Absolutely. in 2019. were unable to do so. But you also don't... Um, you certainly can understand why they say we're not taking a flyer on year two. It just didn't well, work out, uh, and we, availability is pretty important at that that amount of money. Exactly. You know, I mean, if you're Jacksonville, you brought Jake Ryan in here at a, a huge discount because he's coming off an ACL tear. Dom Capers comes to Jacksonville. Dom Capers had experience working with Jake Ryan, so I think there was kind of a mutual interest there. Dom Capers knew what kind of player Jake Ryan was. 
Jake Ryan shows up the training camp, obviously, not practicing. Uh, if I remember correctly, Doug Marone states that he had a setback, and then we never really saw Jake Ryan on the on, on the field again. And, and it's unfortunate, man, because I you know I don't, I don't really know Jake Ryan. We had him on the show once. He 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 was banned from the show. He was first for, guy ever banned. F- the first guy ever banned from ESPN 690 because he had some ice cold freezing Star Wars takes, and I'm not going to tolerate that on my sports radio show or on our sports radio show. But I mean, you know, truth be told, I wish him all the best of luck and. I understand what the Jaguars are doing, man. Like, if you don't play, if you're, you have the injury history, then it is what it is. So hopefully he can rebound. Hopefully whatever happened to him in training camp, because we didn't really get a clear picture of what the setback was. Hopefully, eventually, that gets corrected. Those are some of the easy moves for the Jaguars. You could have a Marquise Lee. You could have Jeff Swaim. I think those would be easy kind of, in quotes, moves for the Jags. I think they could be considered that way. I don't know if they're slam dunk moves. If you consider dead money and what you're going to get in return. And and what I always say is you got to be really careful when you're not a very good football team to create more holes on your football team. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be careful of that from a dollar standpoint. Now, then there's the big ones, and then there are the hard moves, and the what goes on with the three guys that we've talked about at length. One, probably not as much, but A.J. Boye, what will happen with his deal? Calais Campbell, what will happen there? And then, of course, Yannick Ngakwe. And that was some of the other news today. Yannick Ngakwe reports come out that uh, he's looking for $22 million a year uh when this when he hits free agency whenever that happens or a new deal and uh listen he's going to get tagged here in Jacksonville there is no nothing is happening with Ngakwe in the next 2 weeks so the tag is coming i believe if the Jag, how bad would it look if the jags don't even tag Yannick oh. Ngakwe I'm, they have to, right? Listen, yeah. If if I'm Dave Caldwell, and obviously this is probably his call more than Doug Marone, but yeah. I, I mean they have some sort of communication line open. And if I'm Doug Marone, I'm I'm pleading to Dave Caldwell, you need to franchise take Yannick Ngakwe. And if I'm Dave Caldwell and I'm concerned about my job, obviously this year where you have to win football games, you have to take Yannick Ngakwe. If you do not tag him, you you might as well just say, you know what, we don't really care about this season. Like yeah. yeah, sure. Well, maybe we're gonna draft good, but overall, um, as as far as the productivity on the field is concerned, we're not too concerned about it. Yeah, if you don't tag him, you might as well also say we don't really care about winning that much, quite frankly. And we don't care about our jobs, and we don't care about how good our defense is, and we don't care about our young talent, and we don't. I mean, you gotta at least tag him. Mm-hmm. You know what's nothing's getting done. I mean, nothing is getting done in the next few. This is if you're ever gonna get anything done, and that's a huge if, by the way. If uh, then it is going to take a long time. But at least the franchise tag allows you time. It allows you a couple of things. It allows you time to maybe get back to the negotiating table. It allows you time to find a dance partner in a trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's well, what it does, too. So uh, that that could be a likely option uh, if Yannick Ngakwe, via his tweets, obviously, doesn't want to be here anymore. Uh, so that's it's there's a lot that can change but the first step that has to fall and it's a no-brainer is they have to tag them for whatever it is 18 19 million dollars how do you feel about the 22 million dollars a year i i guess i i don't i'm not surprised by it mm-hmm. i think uh if i were him i'd be asking for it and that's kind of where the market sits correct uh, i i do think the more and more i thought about what we talked about last week is that with this new CBA, he might make more money by getting tagged now and, and paid later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, we're talking about $22 million or $22.5 million a year. Uh, it's a lot of money. So well, I think uh, I think the $22 million is what I would be in the ballpark of asking for if I'm Yannick Ngakwe. 
What we don't know and what I think Ngakwe would say and, and uh, shoot, I would say it if I was him is, yeah, there's going to be all sorts of suitors. Well, we don't know how many, but it only takes one. And would that one or two or however many suitors there are be willing to actually trade if he doesn't want to play with the Jags, if they don't want to get back to the table and talk? And is it in the best interest of the Jags to then say, well, before we lose any kind of leverage here, uh, yeah, we can get him to play for us in 2020, maybe, if he does. Uh, but is it kind of like a Jalen situation? Is it uh, the right thing to do to at least get something in return for a young talent if he is declared that he doesn't want to be here? Mm-hmm. It's just exactly what Jalen Ramsey essentially did. He didn't do it this way, but he kind of said, I'm not, I don't want to be here. And so they ended up getting things in return. Now, they're not getting that in return. No, not in close. <laughs> for Ngakwe, not because because of the leverage stuff. Correct. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot that can still shake out on the Ngakwe front. I guess my point being uh, the $22 million in in a way doesn't matter right now because the next step of this is he's going to get tagged. Well, correct. But, I mean, if the Jagos want to offer him $22 million and see what happens, yeah, then yeah. by all means do that yeah, as yeah. well. You know, and when we talk $22 million, I think, I mean, to be fair, I thought it might have been a little more because we look at DeMarcus. Well, it might be more for the Jags. Well, correct. And then now it might be. But you, you look at DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, $21 million next year. You look at Frank Clark, $20.8 million next year he'll be making. You look at Trey Flowers, who I can go on the street right now, ask about 10 people who Trey Flowers plays for, and I bet maybe three or four of them are going to tell me the correct answer of the Detroit Lions. He's making $18 million, and Cam Jordan is making 17.5. So in, in the grand scheme of things, to be fair, I mean, Demarcus Lawrence obviously had an awful year last year, so I think twenty-two million dollars a year for Yannick Ngakwe. I'm not mad at that from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now it's like you said: is there a fracture relationship? Is that going to cost you more? I guess time will tell. But I think the price tag of twenty-two million dollars for a very young, promising pass rusher who's been super consistent—you know, his first three years—and also healthy—you um, you can't deny that. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, what the asking price will be. We'll see if he's able to command it and get it here in Jacksonville or somewhere else uh, and what the Jags do in the next couple of weeks. By the way, we will hear from Dave Caldwell Doug Marone tomorrow when we're up at the Combine. I'm leaving actually uh, the show a little bit early tonight because we're hopping on a plane and we'll be in Indianapolis for the next couple of days. So we'll get their thoughts, and, and we haven't heard from those guys. Well, we I caught up with Caldwell at the Senior Bowl, so it's been the Senior Bowl about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, it was the end of last season when we knew they were coming back when they said prior. Priority number one is Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. What has changed in two months? Priority or any discussions, we maybe will hear a little bit more insight on that uh, yeah. tomorrow from Dave Cole. And a quick correction, I said three years. I meant four years he's been on the league now. Yeah, so, four, yeah years. four years. Um, and the... Uh, Let's stay on the Jacks because Marcel Darius, what does it mean? Uh, do you think he has any chance to come back on a restructure? And the Jaguars continue to have holes at the linebacker spot. They need to find depth. We're talking tight end and a lot of other positions, but they need some depth at the tight end, uh, the linebacker spot as well. It's coming up next, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I think there's a misperception out there that the owners sent this deal over on, on uh, Thursday and told the players they had to approve it or not. This has actually been negotiated for the last nine or ten months. So by the time Players Association leadership and Demora Smith were, were visiting individual team sites, uh, enough progress had been made that he was able to stand in front of them and say, here's what's coming, here's what's going to be in the deal, here's what's not going to be in the deal, etc. The players have had a hand in putting this together. The players are asking that question, what's the rush?
That's Dan Graziano from ESPN talking about the CBA, which uh, sounds like maybe Wednesday the players and the reps will vote on uh, was at least the last word I had heard. So we'll see you at the Combine this week if there's some news about the CBA. And I think most people, we had Hayden Hurston, uh, who's current player with the Baltimore Ravens. We had him in Friday. I, I think that 17 game is going to be a major hiccup. And, and I, Graziano brings up a good point, though. It's like they've been going back and forth on this thing to a degree for almost a year. I mean, they're ahead of the game mm-hmm. at the very least. So what's the major sticking points? Uh, we'll find out on that. We'll see if there's any news that breaks on that front. And then there's also the thought of, okay, if the players do th- vote against, which I would assume they would, is this as good as the deal could get or will get? Will the owners really dig in? Uh, and that's always a war in negotiations, but that's also why you call bluffs and, and the rest of it. And so that's part of negotiating. Brent Morton, Austin Lane, Coos back here on a Monday. Hope you had a good weekend, everybody. Man, the weather was freezing on Friday. <laughs> a little chilly Saturday, too, with the wind. But yesterday and today, hello, Florida. I, I, very few times I do this, I'm like, got in my car, packed up. I was leaving tonight for yeah. a couple of days, and I don't want to leave this for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Indianapolis. 30, I mean, it's not terrible, but yeah. it's like 35 degrees or something. But, sure. And it, everything's inside, but uh, this last couple of days, man, awesome. So uh, we like that around here. February in Florida, not a bad thing. By the way, if you uh, usually uh, watch us, listen on uh, Twitter, at Brent A.S. Jacks or at ESPN Jacks or A-Train 92, uh, said. Well, right now it's not going through. We don't know why. It's on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. Mm-hmm. I also saw something that ESPN stream is down on the Kobe Bryant memorial service, and I don't know if that's just a Twitter-related thing. So I don't know if these things are now Twitter-related uh, or not, but uh, we'll try to work on it and see if we can get that figured out. Uh, you can always watch the show on YouTube. Uh, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, Facebook as well on ESPN 690 Jacks. Uh, we also share it on our Action Sports Jacks page, Action News Jacks page uh, as well. So uh, you can find it there and on Twitch. Follow along on Twitch, ESPN 690 Jacks. So plenty of places to watch and listen to the show as well each and every day, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. All right, the moves we talked about. Let's talk start Jags because now things start to heat up. Uh, the combine is this week that that whole process is different than the one we're really talking about, because before you add, you have to subtract mm-hmm. it's the way it works. The league year starts March 18th. And what will the Jaguars subtract? Well, they already have started that process. Marcel Darius, no brainer, just a no brainer. You had to do it. He was due over $20 million this year against the cap. You're already over the cap. Bam. Just like that one move. The Jags are under the cap. Uh, Jake Ryan also made a lot of sense. Wasn't healthy. Uh, it was five and a half million bucks. So made a lot of sense. Now it gets a little trickier what the Jaguars do. But let's take Jake Ryan out of the fold. Linebacker, yes, they need depth. They don't have it right now. But I'm not sure what he was bringing to the table, considering he never played a snap for the Jags uh, in their uniform. Marcel Darius, though, is interesting. Because, first of all, let's give credit where credit is due. And because there have been so many bad things that have happened over the last couple of years and because Dave Caldwell hasn't won big and the staff hasn't won big and, and the scouting staff hasn't won big over their eight year stay here in Jacksonville, they get a lot of blame more than they get credit. Whether this is Coughlin related, any anybody who was around in 17 should get some credit for this midseason trade for Marcel Darius. It was a big move. It was a good move. Uh, and it paid off. It paid off in 17 in a big way. He helped them 
get to the AFC Championship game. They already were good. He made them better. And he's been good since. And when he was in there last year, they were okay against the run. And I don't know about dominant, but they were okay against the run. When he got out, holy cow, it was an eyesore. And I've talked to some people last year through the year, and they were like, it's not just that. It's not. Well, the bottom line is when he was in or we was out, the numbers are jarring. Mm -hmm. So he had to be a big part of it. Uh, I still believe if I'm Doug Marone, if I'm Caldwell, I'm saying, hey, man, we love for you to be a part of this thing. We just can't do it at that price. Where do you are, are you willing? And maybe they've already had those conversations and we just don't know. But I wouldn't mind seeing Marcel Darius back in a Jags uniform in some capacity. Absolutely. And I'm not a doctor. Brent, you're not a doctor. And the fact that he tore his his abdomen completely, I guess, off the bone last year, I'll be honest, that scares me a little bit. Now, I'm not sure what the recovery time is. I'm not sure what the bounce back time is. You said you saw him. You said he looks fine and everything. Fantastic. And and I know him with his work ethic. I'm sure he's doing everything in, in his due diligence to get back to being 100%. So, obviously, the injury has to scare you a little bit. But I was very outspoken of how I felt about Marcel Darius, even when I saw him in training camp. And... And I still stick by my guns right now where I say I think he's got one of the best first steps in the entire NFL. Okay, And my first step, I mean when the ball is snapped, his quickness to get out of his stance, to explode forward, right when that ball is snapped, I think it's as good, if not the best in the entire NFL, not only on the Jacksonville Jaguars. So anytime you have that at your disposal, you're going to have success, especially in the run game, because the run game, it's all about penetration. It's all about your first step, your explosiveness, and causing chaos in the backfield. And I thought Marcel Darius, when he was healthy, did a fantastic job of that. Now it's like we said. What what he's due to get paid this year, yes, it's probably by a long shot too much. But you want to talk about a leader on the team, number one. And number two, you want to talk about a guy who, let's be honest, if you lose Darius and for some reason you lose Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe, who's left on your defensive line, especially on the inside? I mean, we got Taven Bryan, and who else we got? Nah, got uh, Avery, Avery Jones, who's played all right, but then we got Avery Jones as well. So... To me, either it's got to be Calais Campbell, it's got to be Marcel Darius, or it's got to be both those guys. If you can restructure both of them, that would be fantastic. But my point is you can't afford to lose all of them, in my opinion. And I think you have the best chance to restructure Marcel Darius because this is a guy who's restructured in the past. I think this is a guy who we've talked about before. Um, he's at the point of his career now where he's obviously in the back nine of it. I think that he wants to be where he's comfortable. I think that he wants to be where he's acclimated. And I think Jacksonville is that spot. Now, that's not to say, well, maybe he wants to make one Super Bowl run with a different team. I wouldn't fault him for that either. But I just think... You, you kept Doug Marone for a reason, right? Whatever, if you're Shad Khan, Doug Marone told you with Gardner Minshew or whatever, but Doug Marone is still here. And I think one of the, the biggest positives of Doug Marone still being here is the fact that Marcel Darius loves to play for him. That's a really good point, right? You kept Doug Marone because you got, fee- in part, in part, because you got feedback from players mm-hmm. that they like Doug Marone, and most players are going to say it. Most people aren't going into those exit meetings and saying, hey, I can't stand this guy, we're going to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some do, but most don't. I mean, we've talked to enough players in bad locker rooms and bad teams that they don't usually throw the coach under the bus. But it's a great point because if you start looking at it as a whole now, and that was one of the reasons Shad Khan said, hey, these guys like playing for him. They did play hard throughout the season, which is right. Mm-hmm. Well, along the way, and I understand Jalen Ramsey didn't say, hey, I don't want to play for Doug Marone. He said, I don't want to play for the Jags. But the bottom line is, he wasn't loyal enough to Doug Marone to 
suit up and play through this back injury either while before he did get traded. So if you go all the way back, and that's a little bit of a different but, story. But keep in mind, though, he never said he had a problem with Doug Marone. He never even, did. Even when they had beef on the sidelines, Jalen Ramsey was adamant saying Doug Marone was not the problem. He never did, but he never also had his back. Played back, yeah. had his back and played. Again. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. he okay. never did. And so now you're looking at a, uh, a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, who obviously on social media, hmm. not anything against Doug Marone, probably, I don't think, but you don't want to play for the Jags. It doesn't seem like he wants to play for the Jags. So, okay. Well, you brought Doug Marone back because the players want Doug Marone back. Calais Campbell, I'm sure uh, we've, he's on record saying he'd love for Doug to come back. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows if he's going to be back? Uh, and and these are guys that you might have. And they, they leaned on some of these guys, Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell, to tell them after the season. I'm saying them. I really mean Shot Khan. I'm assuming Tony Khan. But now you bring Marcel Darius. Mm-hmm. And if he knows he can't play under twenty twenty two million dollars, he's not. He knows the league. But what would it take for him to play here, or if he chooses to go elsewhere, that could come down to dollars. But again, that's a maroon guy. So it's really an interesting thing you brought up, where so many of these players were on Doug's side coming back in twenty twenty, and it's one of the big reasons I think that he is back in twenty twenty to not change. Yet a lot of his advocates either want out or might not be here. Yeah. Uh, that's possible for it to play out that way. So fascinating. Um, and, and Marcel Darius might be the biggest one. And we'll probably never know exactly what goes down with that. Again, it will come down to money in some way, shape, or form. They still will have to pay him something. He's not going to work for free. Mm-hmm. And he has a market out there. He's, he's not old. Mm-hmm. He's not over the hill. He still can play. Now, he's coming off injury, but he still can play. So um, I think that's a that's an interesting situation to watch. It's an under-the-radar one as we continue to look at the QB position, Calais, A.J. Boye, and Jan. But Marcel Darius could be a key cog, to your point, in keeping that defensive line still a strength of this defense for the Jaguars in 2020. Uh, more Jags talk when we come back. Not only on Ikan Gakwe, but the NFL Combine as well. This is where they found Minshew a year ago. It's where they fell in love with him. Who could they fall in love with this time around? And what drills really do matter at the Combine? We'll talk about it on ESPN 690. We did everything that I did in the ring tonight. We practiced in the gym, um, setting up off the jab and landing the detonation right hand. And Deontay Wilde's a very tough guy. He, he took a lot of good rights. Um, and I think they've done the right thing because it was only a matter of time before he got severely hurt. He was very tired in there. That's Tyson Fury. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. Yeah. Uh, five o'clock hour, by the way, I've got assignments for you. Okay. You'll be able to talk more Tyson Fury and, and Wilder. I'm in. Uh, even though, I mean, I, I like talking about it. I think it, yeah. was, it was a cool night. Mm-hmm. It was, a, you know, they, they. I don't know if boxing does this normally or not. I think it was just the collision of everything was great. Uh, they got two guys in their prime, undefeated, mm-hmm. uh, big names, heavyweights, all that stuff. So it's a huge fight. But on top of that, there was really not a lot going on in sports. Mm-hmm. Like to find your window sometimes is a very important thing, and it's hard. It's hard to do it. Like, football can go anywhere. They can go whenever they want. But for other sports to make it feel huge, you have to be in a window of time that that fits. And uh, Saturday night, again, I mean, we talked about it last Wednesday. didn't feel like much. But Wednesday right. night, Thursday, Friday. And then from Friday to Saturday night, all anybody was talking about mm-hmm. was Fury Wilder. Why? Because... It was big. Mm-hmm. There was also nothing else to talk about. <laughs> I mean, there Good really point. wasn't. Good so point. that's an important part of it. 
But uh, but anyway, your assignment is talk a little Fury Wilder. I can do that. Uh, but uh, also, you got to share a combine story or two. Oh, I got that's part of your five o'clock hour. I have, I have combine stories for days. All right. Yeah. So well, we need story time. Yeah. We need a little Wilder mm-hmm. Fury from you. And then I don't care whatever the hell else you want to do, but I'm gone at five o'clock. One, well, <laughs> one thing uh, about the Wilder and Fury fight, real quick, is I want to get your opinion on this. And you know, you said you watched uh, some of the fight and everything, so I want to hear your perspective on this. So Deontay Wilder, the way it's set up right now, he has 30 days to exercise his rematch clause. Do you really want to see a rematch of Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury? And, and I'm, I'm asking you wholeheartedly, what do you think about it? It's a great question because uh, I, I kind of did think about it myself. Like, mm-hmm. do we really need one? Mm-hmm. And I think with Joshua hanging out there, mm-hmm. and again, you've probably shed more light on it just in our car rides to Mobile or whatever else about Anthony Joshua. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be like Anthony Joshua. I don't really know him. I, sure. I don't watch much of him. So I'm not sure it would do as much for me, but maybe it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't mind seeing a Wilder Fury again because – to me, then I could see, okay, is Wilder really a good boxer? Is he? Can he learn from this stuff? Can he figure it out? Was he really hurt because of the bleeding ear? Was his equilibrium thrown off? Anything. Here's the reality of it, though, is while Tyson Fury at times to me looks like a cross between Butterbean and Rocky, <laughs> I think he is extremely hard to box. Yeah. Yeah, and one because he's talented, sure. but there's just something so unorthodox about him because mm-hmm. he's six foot nine. He yeah, doesn't look it's a like big dude, man. You know, listen, when Mike Tyson was great, Lennox Lewis great, Evander Holyfield great, uh, Deontay Wilder, they Chiseled are just the Greek gods. Yeah, got right. Yeah. I mean, they look like they're great. Exactly. Same thing with Anthony Joshua as well. Tyson Fury looks like a goofball. <laughs> I mean, he's coming in as a king. He sings after this stuff. It's like, how do you take this guy serious? Sure. And then he then he kicks your ass. I mean, yeah. because he can box, but he's also very at that. I think at that. Uh, listen, me talk boxing like I know it. No, but but you, I just you, think you, at, at man, six foot nine, I just think he's really difficult yeah. to actually box, yeah. and especially if he's leaning on you like he was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing it again, but mm-hmm. I do think uh, I, unless he changed something up drastically. Yeah. I just think Tyson Fury has proven that he's a better boxer. Yeah. He's a better champ. I mean, he, he actually, if you go back and read the stuff on the first fight, 10 out of 12 rounds, yeah. he took from Wilder. So now you're talking about 19 rounds of boxing, and Fury has essentially demolished him in 17 rounds. Mm-hmm. And he got knocked down those other two, and that can happen again, and that's part of it. Yeah. And you were kind of waiting for that. But after the third round, you knew he didn't have the strength for that. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't find a window. Uh, so you almost felt, didn't you spiel in the fight like around th- third round or fourth round that Wilder, I think it was the fourth round, Wilder tried to go for a couple of big knockout swings. Go for and he's like, if just, I don't get it here, yeah. I'm not winning this yeah. fight because I'm, I'm losing my. Yeah. And it was pretty courageous for him to last the seven rounds. Absolutely. I appreciate that about well, him. And, you know, and obviously he was upset because they threw in the towel, which I think they should have, obviously. And first of all, let me just say, I, I'm proud of you, man. I, I feel like my kid just hit like a, his first home run ball <laughs> of all time. Brett Martineau killing it yeah. in the boxing game. And I, there's not much more to say. I mean, you pretty much it crushed fun. it. But fun watch. Gonna, yeah, but all I'm going to say is, listen, you're absolutely right about Tyson Fury. That The first matchup, he won 10 to 12 rounds. All right? I think you make an argument for this past fight. Tyson Fury won every single round. And boxing is so fickle 
Gilbert, right? It's not like MMA. It's not like Conor McGregor can lose a fight, comes back, and he's still the man of traction. In boxing, man, once you have that L next to your name, it's hard to get back on top. And I think right now, if I'm Dante Wilder's camp, I get it. You probably want to run it back and try to get vengeance. But at the same time, you have to ask yourselves, do you have the tools ready to beat Tyson Fury? And I think right now, the answer is no. So if I'm Dante Wilder in his camp, um, I probably take my time. I don't exercise the rematch clause just yet. I get better. I perfect my game. And then a couple years down the line, then I call Tyson Fury back out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You never know what happens in boxing in a couple years, right? But uh, <laughs> sure. uh, the you know what's interesting to me, you, and you know this stuff a little bit better. I was trying to figure it out, and I could not find it. You know, they only got paid like $5 million each for that as a purse. Uh, as a purse, yeah. But then they get a pay-per-view cut, right? Mm. And gate cut too of the, the gate. I, I saw. Oh, they do. They get a cut of that. So I saw though somewhere they might make another twelve million or something in that. Is that it though? I thought they were no, going to make like forty million for this fight. I think when it's all said and done, realistically with the sponsorships endorsements, I bet they'll make in the ballpark of twenty to thirty million dollars. Okay, for that fight. For that fight. Because uh, Fury also I was reading he has a clause with the whole. Um, ESPN. ESPN. So, yeah, that's why. Like $12 million he gets paid a year for that. Exactly. Because so Tyson Fury's with ESPN and top ranked top boxing. Ranked, so, yeah. th- that's why ESPN's been covering it so much, obviously, yeah. because Tyson Fury's kind of like their <laughs> dude. And they're paying and $12 million bucks. Exactly. And then Deontay Wilder, <laughs> on the other hand, Deontay Wilder's more independent, where he can kind of pick and choose where he, which is actually the way you want to do it. And then that's kind of like the old school days of boxing. And that's how, you know, the best guys can fight each other. Because where boxing went round and wrong and where boxing started to die a little bit is when all these greedy promoters started to have their own promotions, right? So then you have Daz and yeah. you have the ESPN guys, you have the, the Showtime guys and basically it's like, alright, come by me, we'll make the most money. That's great and everything, man. But then the guys, the best guys aren't fighting each other all the time. Uh, real quick, because uh, again, you'll talk more about I'll the 5 o'clock hour, yeah. but uh, Fury, where is he ranked now in the, in, the, in the history of heavyweights? Man, 30-0? and 0. Yeah, I, I mean... First of all, the way that he's fought in his career, one would say, well, he's not the most exciting guy because he does he's not known for knockouts. Yeah. No, he, he knocked out Wilder. Props to him for doing that. But you have to put Fury right up there because he was the guy that stopped the Klitschko hype train. And another reason why heavyweight boxing died was two guys by the name of the, the Klitschko brothers. I'll t- a quick tell a real story here. So um, the Klitschko brothers, Brent, for a long time, they were the top echelon of boxing. They, they were the elite. No one could touch them. The problem was, well, two things. Number one, their style. All they did was jab and grab you. It made for boring it was fights. boring heavyweight boxing. round decisions, exactly. And number two, the brothers were number one and number two in the heavyweight division, and they refused to fight each other. Yeah. So the, the best thing we got to fight each other. Well, here comes Tyson Fury. Out of nowhere, the underdog stops one of the Klitschko's, and then his reign starts to begin. So I think realistically, man, taking down the Klitschko, Klitschko's like he did, taking down Wilder now, you got to put Fury, man, at least I'll, I'll probably put him top three all time of the heavyweight division. Okay, shoot. Well, we've just done more boxing, so I'll stay on it for a minute. Um, here, here's here's my other thought then. Sure. He he is a character. Yes. Uh, he sings after American Pie, and uh, I think he did that his last fight, he too, was, didn't he? He was doing pro wrestling, too, in Saudi Arabia, man. He did the, 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 the pay-per-view there. But it is so unique to me in sports it, when... The guy from the United States is not the overwhelming favorite against somebody from not the United States. Yeah. It's a little bit different in England because, like, Rory McIlroy gets a lot of love outside of the Ryder Cup around here. You know, or Mm -hmm. he's from Ireland, but you get my point. And so it's changed. And, and by the way, Fury, like, I think lives in Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so I get it, but it's still odd to me. I mean, he had the arena... 
going crazy yeah. after, you know, whether you wanted Wilder or not. So my point is he's not like a, a villain at all no. in the sport, mm. which I think is really good for boxing to have him. He's like a character guy. Uh, you never know what he's going to do. Yeah. And everybody can kind of like him. There's no reason to not like Tyson Fury. Well, and listen, and this guy works hard, but like I said, he maybe he's doing, not polarizing enough. Well, and he was doing pro wrestling, right? He was doing all these speaking engagements. And usually what happens in boxing and UFC, when you put that much energy into things outside the ring, it starts to falter you a little bit. For instance, Ronda Rousey was the champ for a long yeah. time, started doing movies, and she fell off her, you know, the mountaintop. Yeah. Tyson Fury, man, has been able to do both and do both very well. So. He's just he's a different type of cat, man. He's a different type of breed, and people respect him, especially because of his story as well. Yeah, his story's great. I mean, bare knuckle boxing. I mean, you yeah. got to respect that. Jeez. <laughs> All right. No uh, football talk, combine talk, Jags talk. Next, ESPN six ninety. Hey, that was Kurt Busch. Uh, just a quick little update. Did you see Ryan Newman? Uh, they issued another statement and. He did acknowledge he had a head injury. Remember, we talked about that last week, about injuries. Now, I didn't go into detail, just a head injury. Uh, that will get everybody assuming it was a concussion of some sorts. Mm-hmm. What we wondered about is just how he was able to get out so quickly of the hospital. And uh, we don't know that part. So maybe we find out more details. And it sounded like he wanted to be the one answering a lot of those questions and didn't want somebody doing it for him. And so that's why they've kind of slowly put information out there. And, again, all the respect in the world for that. Um, we're just kind of waiting. And, and I think the head injury at least a lot gives us something. Um, that That's uh, no broken bones and all those things, which is just incredible, really. The more and more you look at that. Believe it, that was a week ago. That feels like it was six weeks ago in my world. Uh, but. Ryan Newman probably will say more as, uh, you know, as we get further and further. And he's getting back in that car. Uh, so tough dude and, and courageous guy in a lot of respects. I, I got to tell you, if I was, I can't think like him anyway. I can't think like a race car driver, you know, Yeah. don't live that life. And I think there's a part of me that would want to get back in at least one more time and say, you didn't force me out of here. Sure. But I don't know how many more times I'd want to get back in, you know, maybe even just the super speedway tracks. Maybe I would just say, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing those. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, but you know, if you're Jimmy Johnson and you see that and you and you're, this is your last year. Uh, I just think it gives you pause a little bit. Dude, I, I, listen, I can't imagine. And I understand football and NASCAR, it's two completely different things, okay? So it's not really fair to compare them in any kind of stories per se. But I, I'm just going to say this. When um, my rookie year, I was the wedge buster on the kickoff team, okay? So it was my yeah. goal to try to run down as fast as I could with my hair on fire and try to break up the wedge. Now, they don't even have the wedge anymore. Like They don't even do this play anymore. But I remember one time, um, and, and they always call it the, the, the ear shot, right, where where they call it the gunner will come around the corner when you're running down. You, you won't even see him, and he'll ear hole you. And that happened to me one time, man, against Pittsburgh. And, dude, I got absolutely decleated. Didn't even see the guy coming. Next thing I know, I hear a big crunch, and I'm on my back looking up at the sky. You know, I'm like, okay, all right, ear hole, I got it. Because usually what happens is when that, you know, when the guy is running across the field, the guy next to you is supposed to tell you because the guy has a better yeah. vantage point. Well, no, nobody told me No anything. communication. Okay, but needless to say, after that play, Brent, you better believe every single time that I was on the kickoff team, I, I don't want to say I slowed down, but I was tentative a little bit because I had to watch out for the guy trying to ear hole me, right? Yeah. And guess what? It never happened again. But it was that one-time ordeal where it was like, man, head on a swivel, head on a swivel. And it kind of messed up how I approached you know, being that wedge buster. Well, I can't imagine a NASCAR, man. When, when you're going 200 miles per hour and you get in a wreck like that, 
to be able just to step in and try to put it all behind you? Come on. Tough to do. But I would also say I think there'd be a part of me like, dude, that was the worst of it. Sure. That can't happen again. Yeah. And I got out of that. Yeah. You know, that'd yeah. be the tough guy in me. Be yeah. like, can't get any worse than that. True. And I yeah. walked out 36 hours later. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, you just can't think like them. Yeah. And, and you don't know how you'd react in those kind of situations. I always say that. But uh, Ryan Newman seems to be okay and, and might be back in a race car sooner than later, uh, which is remarkable. NFL Combine up in Indianapolis this week. It's It's really... It's kind of underway. People are gathering there uh, today, tomorrow. Hand size is coming out. Non-stop. Measurements. Yeah. Any surprises on the measurements? Uh, yeah. Uh, Tua was one to watch. Uh, even six foot. Yeah. 213 pounds, I think I saw. Uh, I think I saw something else. Your guy, Harrison Bryant, Florida Atlantic. I saw somebody tweet really small arms for a tight end. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck does that mean? You know? Just, yeah. Like I just can't get there. Like I understand everybody. I know I understand so many people love football, right? And I and they that. love that. Listen to the show, but I really can't get there. I, the one that I've come around on is the hands sure. for quarterbacks. Sure, I, I really have because yeah. like it it makes so much sense to me. Like if you try to throw a football, like and I don't have big hands, mm-hmm. I can hardly grip like a real. NFL football. Mm-hmm. College one's easier. The high school one's a heck of a lot easier. And that damn Nerf thing, Nerf man, football? I can throw oh, it. Oh, yeah, man. The, 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 the Nerf John Elway screamer, get it going, man. ESPN football, I got that Nailed one, baby. It. I like it, man. I like it. But to, like, Dan Marino and Russell Wilson and, yeah. and Tom Brady, the NFL ball feels like this ball feels <laughs> in my hands. For sure. And, like, piano players, right? Mm-hmm. You almost have to have long fingers. Yep. Like, if you're really, really talented. I'm, I'm not sure all of them do. But most of them do. Pedro Martinez, skinny guy, throwing the foot, uh, the baseball, 160 pounds, soaking wet. Mm-hmm. His hands go for days. Yeah. His fingers, he can he can control that baseball. So there's just an element of that that in the last few years I used to make fun of, but I kind of come around on, especially guys like Russell Wilson, who is not a big guy, but his hand size is big. They say, mm-hmm. and look at what he's been able to do. And I think that does matter. It matters in conditions. Matters fumbling the football and matters controlling the football, quite frankly. So that's the one measurement now that I'm willing to kind of like, okay, I kind of get that. And, you know, for defensive guys, I heard over the, like Tyson Alawala used to talk about heavy hands. Caps got, too. Caps for days. As he well. does have caps for days. <laughs> but his heavy hands, like, yeah. and at that position, that's a good thing to have. Oh, absolutely. You know, to the strength you in your hands. Bring the punch. So I, I get it, but I also don't get. I did not sit there and watch everything this morning. I did not look at everybody's height because it's just a bunch of numbers. Yeah. And, and listen, I get last year. Remember last year, Brent, the hype, Kyler Murray. Absolutely. What is Kyler Murray going to weigh in at? What, what is it? How tall is he going to be? All that. Well, it didn't really matter, right? Because he was the number one pick He's overall. still the number one pick. So who, who really cares? Yeah, you know, to be fair, I can come with you on the hand size a little bit, right? Because I think especially like a dual threat guy, a guy who wants to scramble a lot, traditionally, unless your name's Gardner Minshew, you're going to scramble with one hand, right? And the other hand's going to be free. Um, so you want a guy that's got the good grip on the football and to be able to sling it. So I can understand that. But as far as, you know, does he have big biceps or like like you said with that kid from Fort Atlantic, man, I mean – Everyone's got the preconceived notions of what a football player should look like. Yeah. And, and I understand that, man. But if you think like that, 
you will not win. I mean, you may win football games, but you will not put it over the top where you're gonna have a special team. You know, because if, if you saw Aaron Donald as a rookie, you would think, man, kind of short, stocky. Yeah, he's built pretty good, but dude, short. Can he really play in the next level? Well, guess what, man? He's the best defensive tackle in all of football. Should have okay? gone number one overall. Should have gone number one overall. Exactly. Based on his so, career. Based on his career for sure. So I get it. You have these preconceived notions of what everyone should look like. But at the end of the day, man, it comes down to the tape. And then, like Hayden Hurst said on Friday, that, that's the most important thing. And you watch the tape first, see what they can do, and then you worry about the small stuff after. All right, so then what's the most important thing about, I mean, we were joking earlier in the show, like, hey, I went and punched 175 today. Yippee, how much can I do, 225? Yeah. Like, how much of this is real? Like, what does it matter? I mean, is it is it more just, hey, we want to put you under some stress? and see what you got, see how you compete in this environment. It's a different environment. Mm-hmm. Take you out of your element. I understand that, if that's the case. Uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Chase Young said he's not, not doing anything. anything. Good for him. Doesn't I, have to. I, I would say the same for Joe Watch Burrow. The film. Wouldn't yeah. do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, Watch if you want to throw the football just to wing it a little bit, go ahead. Yeah. I wouldn't do a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, so, and those some of those guys have the power to do it, but others don't have that power. They want to impress, mm-hmm. but do they really? So, like, what are these drills? Well, do you think they're accomplishing anything for everybody they're watching? So, and they're in prime time. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Oh, of course, yeah. So, you know, the the combine, it's a weird thing because it's set up for players to fail. Okay, like you would think that NFL teams going to the combine. They want to see the players at the very best. They, they want to see the fastest numbers. They want to see the highest bench press numbers. They want to see the longest broad jumps and the highest vertical jumps. And you, you want the interviews to go swimmingly, right? But that's not how it's set up, man. The, the, the combine is set up for you to fail. And the reason why I say that, and once again, to kind of echo the words of Hayden Hurst on Friday, everything that you do is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. More specifically, the amount of sleep that you get in a night. Okay, so when you get to the combine, obviously it's a whirlwind. Be here at a certain time. You have to go through the medical things. And number one, the medical things is crazy in itself. All right, this isn't just teams getting together and saying, all right, we see that you hurt yourself here in college. Let's get an MRI. No, we're talking about 32 teams, 32 different medical doctors at the same time coming in a room with you in your underwear, by the way. Hope you're comfortable with yourself because you're in your underwear. You're in your underwear and 32 team doctors are poking and prodding you every single which way. And this goes on for about an hour and a half, two hours. It's a long, drawn-out process. And guess what? If they feel something abnormal... Speaking of being uncomfortable. Exactly. And guess what? If you feel something, if they feel something that maybe doesn't look right, maybe, maybe you have a scratch on your wrist, guess what? MRI, 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 MRI. I, I knew some guys, Brett, not exaggerating, that had to get 12 MRIs in, in one combine session. Wow. Th- th- that means sitting in a, in a you know, the giant tube for 45 minutes, whatever it is, you know, going off, can't fall asleep, can't move. They had to do it 12 separate times because each team tried to request the MRI results. Wow. Uh, we're going to stay on the combine. On There's it, a yeah. lot to go, okay? Yeah. Uh, I want to, the drills, the new ones this year, the prime time. I also want you to take us through a day of the combine, mm-hmm. this lack of sleep thing. Mm-hmm. How real is it? Mm-hmm. Next, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I know you don't want to ask me about Andrew. Um, Andrew's my friend, and I miss my friend. You know, I, I love winning games with him. I love seeing his happiness in the locker room. But right now, um, you know, uh, I, I know Coach has had dinner with him. Chris has had dinner with him. But... Uh, I really, you know, I, I, I mean, I can't comment on anything in terms of, you know, will he ever come back? Is he coming back this year? Is he coming back next year? I I don't know. That's Jim Irsay. 
Jim Mercer. Yeah. yeah. Boy, that sounds funny when I say Jim Mercer. Jim Mercer. <laughs> Colts uh, owner on Andrew Luck. You know, I saw those quotes come out this weekend. I was like, shoot, I didn't even really think of Andrew Luck coming back. Yeah. Like, I feel like Andrew Luck, when he said he was done, he's done. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't even, I wonder if that's a, at all a storyline or at least a, a sense in Indianapolis. And maybe we'll get a better feel over the next couple of days. I just feel like he's done. I mean, he's kind of, I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of cool, though. Did you see that he suggested, was it the P.J. Walker kid that's doing really well for Houston, the XFL? Is that his name, P.J. Walker? I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, he was on Indy's practice squad. Correct. So he suggested to his dad, who's the commissioner of the XFL, Mm -hmm. that give this guy a chance somewhere, Mm -hmm. and somehow or another ends up in Houston. Sure. And he's he's, he's the MVP of the league right now. He kind of had a rough game. Well, actually, no, Houston ended up coming back and winning. So, yeah, he had a good game against Tampa, by the way, Brent, Tampa Bay Vipers. Not good. 0-3. 0-3. Is that your team? Well, because Mark Trestman's there, man. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm trying to show out. Plus, they're probably the closest team, too, but not good. Not good at all. say it like that. Uh, all right, a couple of things. I want to get in the combine more. Yeah. Day in the life of the combine with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to get into a little bit later. I'm going to tell you something before I get out of here. Okay. I watched a documentary this weekend. Mm-hmm. I caught it uh, a, a little bit late, but I but I got enough of it. And it was on Drew Bledsoe. And have you seen I don't even know how long it's been out. But it's like better with age about his winery and all that stuff. No. Well, it's really all about what happened, what went down in New England. Of course. The, the transition to Brady. Fascinating. But I sat there for about an hour during this thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like we're, It's like we're living this. Mm-hmm. This is Jacksonville. It's amazing. Like this. I should say this could be Jacksonville. But it's like the current situation. It, and and so so many people over the over the years have said or over the last year or so have said oh he's six round pick like Tom Brady six round pick like Tom Brady I get that part of it that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about the situation and so in a little bit we'll get to that because uh, I just want it, to it's worth bringing up and in my opinion the big thing I took out of thinking of, of it like that was this is all on Doug Marone Doug Marone had a chance last year. To make a decision with Foles or Minshew. He chose Foles. It backfired. Didn't mm-hmm. work. Now, I'm not saying Minshew would have worked, but the one that he made didn't work. Well, here we are again. He's got a second chance to make that same decision, essentially. Mm-hmm. And will he make the right one? Uh, we all can say what the right one is. We don't know either. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is history tells us what the right one is. And fascinating. So I, I just, uh, it, it, I could not help but the see the parallels and quite honestly folks who might have seen this documentary with jeremy Schapp, it was really good but they might have seen it for the last couple of years i have no idea when it came out mm-hmm. it was really well done but i just sat there on my couch which doesn't happen very often <laughs> and watched this thing and i'm like steph was there i'm like steph this is like the like i must have said it to her like eight times mm-hmm. like this is like we are living this right now in jacksonville this opportunity this conversation potentially because mm-hmm. we have no idea if he picks Minshew, if Minshew. Not as Tom Brady, but he, I'm talking about a franchise guy. Or is it right to stay with Drew Bledsoe in sure. this instance, which would be Nick Foles? So anyway, I want to talk about that because I think it was fascinating. Nice to do The other thing is I'm watching The Miracle on Ice last night on ESPN. Oh, like yeah. it's 1980 and, and getting nervous. Right. I mean, is there anything in sports that does that? Yeah. Like that 
game, like that story, like that moment, uh, even 40 years later, it's I was three when it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I feel like the Olympics were a big deal for me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. like huge. I don't oh, know about you. They're, they're, they're still a big deal to me, man. I, yeah, I see, love they're watching not. Olympics. They're I, not. I love the Olympics. Uh, the Olympics, I love honestly, the Olympics ceremonies. I, I love everything. I have to it. look up where they are now and when <laughs> they are. I, they're not. They're just Tokyo, not big. They, they, have, they totally are not big for me, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. they were. I used to swim as a kid in the Summer Olympics. I wanted all, like, when they wore those white like, jumpsuits and they had the Olympics on. Like, you I wanted them. How do you? Like, these one days you could probably go buy Ralph one. Lauren specials? Oh, I yeah, would have bought one. Yeah. Like, I sure. wanted one. But, yeah. like, I wasn't even that good of a swimmer. But I was like, I want to be in the Olympics because I want the jumpsuit. Forget about the medal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, even around in Rhode Island, hockey's so big. Obviously, Wisconsin, same way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, a close family friend played on the 84 and 88 Olympic hockey team. Um Clark Donatelli was his name. So it it always had a place beyond 1980. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Albany and worked, I was was in Albany when it was a 25-year anniversary of Lake Placid Mm -hmm. and the 1980 Miracle on Ice. Now we're up to 40 years, Mm -hmm. but uh, believe it or not. But we did an hour special on that. In fact, we went down to New York City, and they had a 25-year reunion with a lot of those guys, Aruzioni and all those guys. For sure. But then we went to Lake Placid to tell the other side of the story. And if you've never been to Lake Placid, Lake Placid is a very cool place. Very cool in the summer, but also pretty awesome in the winter. Mm -hmm. And you can hear... Al Michaels calling the game, walking down the street, man. Like it gives me kind of goosebumps right now. It's one of those places. You can actually like feel it and hear it. It's one of those sporting events that my mom like told me about. You know. And and is there a better call ever in in a game than Al Michaels? You know, and the the guys down the sports office were telling me last night. It's like that was Michael's second hockey game ever. Yeah. I didn't realize that Mm -hmm. that he called. I did not. And so as the years go by, you learn more and more about it. And what the other side of it is, is the young folks. Kuz's age, other people, 25, and this isn't a knock against them, mm-hmm. but it's like they don't even really have, they, they, no. it's just like another, oh, that's on ESPN, yeah. or I've seen the movie, but it's just a movie, yeah. but it's still kind of very much real to so many people, and and I'll point, and, and but if you're getting into like this business, or if you're a sports fan at all, it doesn't matter what age you are, but especially if you're under the age of like 25 and it doesn't really do much for you, yeah. Go look it up and make it do something for you. Because it's, it's like the it's one of, if not the most poignant moment in sports was, history in in our country. It was so much bigger than sports too, Brent. You know, Absolutely, it, it was so much bigger than just one hockey game. You know, you're you're talking about the USSR, okay, and you're talking about the Red Machine, who they were almost mechanical of how they approached the game of hockey. They just didn't lose. And you're talking about just a scrappy bunch of amateur kids playing hockey, taking on, you know, one of the best teams of all time um, in the Russians, man. It's just, it, it's crazy. And obviously, I wasn't born for it, right? But, I mean, as, as long as I can remember, man, like, that story was ingrained in me by my grandparents, yeah. by my stepdad. Like, they, they, because I was a big hockey fan, obviously, but they were sure to tell me just how important that game was, obviously, for the game of hockey, but also just for the country in general. And so much has changed. You have to remind yourself that now those guys were amateurs. Correct. They were college kids. They yeah. were, now we use pros for everything. Yeah. Well, so it, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Uh, but see, this is what happens. I watch two different things and yeah. I could do two segments on it. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because actually a combine question that I was presented, not going to say the team, but I remember like it was yesterday. I'm at the combine and the guy asked me, he was in the scouting department, who's your favorite hot, uh, no, he said, who's your favorite team of all time in professional sports? And I said, the 1980 Miracle on Ice team, hands down. And, like, he was almost taken back by it. He's like, I thought you liked football. I'm like, yeah, oh, I love football. I don't get it twisted. But that team 
meant more to you know I think the the country and just the the whole nation of sports in general than any other team in the history of sports. So the Kiki kind of was like taken back by my answer, but I'm like you can think whatever you want to think, man. But that team, I mean, this this country owes a lot to that team. That's awesome. Say. I wonder how how many times people have answered that that oh, way. Probably the combine, not, man. not very yeah, much. Probably right? not. Yeah. Looking at a Super Bowl team or oh, Joe course, Namath's team or yeah. the hard hitting Pittsburgh Steelers. Exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of, so that transitions into what. The combine is what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Real quick, we'll bring John yeah. Bachman in a moment. Totally different than his day is your day at the combine. <laughs> uh, what what uh, you hear about making uncomfortable. Sleep, yeah. I, I kind of say this is what I say. This is going to be I want to say this with all due respect uh, because I don't think it's on this level. Mm-hmm. But in my mindset from a from an NFL standpoint. I see it as like what you would read about for like Navy SEALs. Sure. Right. So like if you're in Navy SEALs training or whatever, they try to make them as uncomfortable as you can humanly make somebody uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those guys are a different breed. For sure. But they put them through this to, to test them to, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, it's not on that level in terms of what's being done, but the idea in principle of what at the combine of putting you in this uncomfortable spot, a spot that you're not normally in. And seeing how you handle it is kind of the way I look at it when it, when people talk about the lack of sleep and all exactly. the interviews and the medicals and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. the principle of it, uh, not the actual level of intensity well, of it, yeah. is is kind of uh, similar to me, at least in my viewpoint. And listen, and having a great friend who I played college football with, who's actually currently a Navy SEAL now, I'm never going to say that the, the, the combine's a lot harder than the <laughs> yeah. Navy SEALs, man. Like he, he, he and I'm trying to make stories. that crystal clear. Yeah, it's he's, not. He told me stories, man. So, hey, I'm going to give him props for that one. But to be fair, you mentioned it. There's the sleep deprivation, and, and it's evident. You know, it's something that doesn't really get talked about, at least it didn't when I was going to the combine, where realistically, on any given night, you fall asleep after meetings and everything that go to about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. And then after that, you get up probably around 5.36 to do more medicals, to do more meetings, to get breakfast, all that stuff. So what they what the teams are looking for basically is they they don't want to see you necessarily snap but they want you they want to see you uncomfortable and how you handle the stress because let's be honest the NFL it's a stressful job when you're going through training camp it's a stressful job where you know if you're down by 10 points with 5 minutes left on the clock and you don't have the ball it can be stressful so the whole point is to take these athletes these college kids who have pretty much everything structured for them their entire lives, right? You, you go to class at a certain time, you show up for practice at a certain time, maybe you have a study hall at a certain time, lunch is a certain time, yada, yada, yada. And now all of a sudden you go to the combine where it's like, well, you're not really sure how many meetings you have. You're not really sure what time you have to wake up until the very last second until someone knocks on your door, and it's all this stuff. And then you have to answer these questions that, you know, in, in the media, uh, not media, but with the scouts, like these crazy off-the-wall questions. And we'll get into that later on, too. I'll share some of those stories. But it's almost like they're trying to break you, and, and they're trying to wait for that moment where you slip up a little bit and you lose your cool. You start to have a temper where it's like, ah, there he is. There's the guy that can't handle that fourth and one when we need him the most. There's the guy that can't handle, you know, losing three games in a row and things like that. So you're absolutely right. From a mental standpoint, they do try to break you. And then obviously on the field, Brent, you know, when you have that sleep deprivation, well, then you're expected to perform underneath the bright lights of is a Lucas Oil Field still? Yeah, yeah. Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lucas Oil Stadium. And you're expected to perform under the bright lights. You're expected to do this 40-yard dash in your underwear, this vertical jump and everything with all these scouts and pretty much the whole world watching you. And you're probably going on, realistically, four and a half, five hours of sleep. Yeah, so is it cowardly to not go out there and compete 
mm. in some of these things if you're a top-fledged guy. Like some of these quarterbacks over the years have not. Like uh, the year Bortles threw, he was one, I think he was the only guy that threw, yeah. and that was a feather in his cap. Yeah. So is it cowardly not to, and I say cowardly kind of loosely, but you get yeah. my point, or is it smart? Because so, you're not going to go out there and do your best. So here's the funny thing about it, Brent. Is it cowardly? No, because well, teams are going to say, well, why aren't you competing? And, and uh, a big... A big thing would be the bench press. A lot of guys don't bench press for whatever reason because maybe they have a shoulder injury or maybe they're they're not putting up good numbers right now. And for me, I had a shoulder injury. So as far as the bench press is concerned, like what they make you do is if you're not going to lift the the bench press, you have to go stand in front of everybody. And keep in mind, there's scouts from every single team kind of in the bleachers. No, there's bleachers. Yeah, there's bleachers. And you have to stand in front of everybody and you have to explain why you're not bench pressing. You know, And, Uh, and then much to the smirks of all the guys like, oh, everything like that. So you have to deal with that. So, some I guy think, who failed gym class and's got a pencil in his exactly, hand. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so I think guys love to say like, "Oh, what, what's wrong? You don't, you don't want to compete? This is all about competition. Why don't you want to run?" But then the most ironic thing is, then you have the pro day, and the pro day is the exact opposite from the combine, where the pro day is set up for you to succeed. Now. I'm not going to spill any news or anything like that, and I'm not going to snitch on anybody, but I, I have on good authority that pro days, for instance, at this one school, not going to name the school, but this athlete told me about it, where for the 40-yard dash, where they run it? It's 38. No, but it's actually, it goes downhill a little bit. Ah, very good. So, so it makes you faster. And a lot of these big schools, I think, kind of sway it to the athlete's, you know, advantage. So you go from the combine where every, like all the, the whole deck stacked against you, and then you go out to your pro day where everything's in your favor. The school sets up what time you got to be there. The school set, I mean, the, the guys just set up the drills and everything. But for the most part, you have a say of what you can and cannot do. So it's completely in your advantage. So that's why a lot of guys, whether it's the bench press, the forty-yard dash, the Jody drills, they wait till their pro day. Well, this just in: when the pro day happens, it's a good, it's good for the schools too. Oh yeah, for so, sure. So, so it behooves them to have their players do well. Yeah, exactly. Oh uh, well, listen, uh, it's a good recruiting tool. Bottom line, that's why the tape doesn't lie, and that's why yeah. people use the tape mostly. And these are just check the box or check off or mm-hmm. red flag kind of moments mm-hmm. that, ha- if you're doing it correctly, in my opinion, nobody in my, if I was a scout, and I don't know this business in and out, so I'm talking. Uh, like scouts would be like, shut up, Brent. But <laughs> the uh, I, I would just there is nobody that is sliding one way or another majorly where I have them off my tape mm. from these kind of events. Mm-hmm. A notch here, a notch there, a little extra star, but, a little but, extra red flag. Let's be honest though, Brent. Sometimes it does happen. Like polite from last year, Jakai polite from Florida. Okay, that w- different story. Okay, I, I think you're right about the like the interviews have always been mostly important for me. Sure, because okay. now I'm getting to know a guy and I see a guy and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. But mm-hmm. that that's a different. I think that's a bit of an outlier, is my point. Okay. Some once in a while you'll get a guy maybe you got arrested two weeks before. Yeah. Maybe now like in uh, uh, Edwards, uh, South Carolina, receiver just broke his foot. Oh yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. well that's a huge red. For now sure. we're now things are really moving. Yeah. But my point is, with all things being equal, I just don't know if I'm getting in an interview or getting out. Again, medicals could change that. And, and if everything's equal, nobody's really going to convince me one way or another mm-hmm. that my eyes were not right on the tape or when I went and scouted them in mm-hmm. a game. Yeah. And, no, and yeah. I think you got to be true to that. If and that's a tough thing. Yeah. Because you have all these new things adding up, but you spent a year and a half scouting this guy. Yeah. And, and he told you he was this. 
Now Correct. you just need to confirm it or not. Well, and keep in mind, too, these scouts come by campuses all the time during the, the, the school year as yeah. well, like during the college football season, where scouts will come by, they'll put you on the board, they'll ask you these questions. So they already kind of have an idea of where you're going to be drafted, what, what, like what your, you know, like I guess what your, um, you know, like your scale is and everything like that. So they have a good idea. Except like the small school guys, kind of like me. Like the, the combine for me, Brent, was a good chance set aside from the senior bowl as well to put myself on the map because I'm kind of the smaller school kind of guy. Yeah, you know, a couple of things really stick out about combines and the whole process for me. If I were to go back and look at it, one was just recent when we we're in Brandon, Mississippi, and Gardner Minshew's dad he brought it up and he brought up a great point. He said, "Hey, why for quarterbacks? We do this throwing and all this other stuff, which is fine." You got all this tape, but they never really say, hey, go make a decision here on a board or go. It's not part of the actual process. Mm-hmm. Now, some teams might do it or not, yeah. but that's what you got to get out there and do, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. And so how do you test that? I don't know, but why don't they test that mm-hmm. more for the, that kind of position? And you wonder why don't they do other things for other kind of positions? The other one that sticks out to me is with all the ability to background check these guys now and ask questions and know. How did Justin Blackman and his issues Mm. not red flag the Jags more? Did they not do their homework? Did people lie at Oklahoma State and Mm -hmm. and cover it up because they wanted the best for Justin Blackman? They thought he could overcome this and whatever. But people knew something. (laughs) Somebody knew something. Did the Jags not dig enough or did they overlook it and say this guy's supremely talented, which I believe he was too. But could have been a combination of all those things, right? A little downplay because A, it's good for the school, it's good for Blackman. B, it's a personnel thing and a lot of times it's tricky to take. To, I mean, in the real world, it's tricky to be totally honest. Yeah. When some, mm-hmm. when you're getting rid of somebody and somebody else calls you and I'm asking about them, there's HR folks will tell you there's you got to be careful. Yeah. Because you, you're messing with somebody's ability to make make a livelihood. So That's a good point. You you have to walk a very fine line. Now I think and your loyalties good, to the player. Good, good hirings, good people who are good at making good hiring hires. Are, are the folks who can read between the lines when they call up a former employer or they see a trend and you're like, whoa, wait a second, this person's been in three cities in three years. Why is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's uh, What are the flags that I should be picking up that I can't get from said employer because said employer is too afraid of getting sued or something like that? Yeah, that's so a good point. Yep. That could be a, I mean, it could be a lot of those factors with why. And Jags may have just said, this guy is so good, we don't care we'll how fix crazy him. we're going to fix yeah. him because yeah. he's worth the risk. Involved, exactly. For sure. Yeah. yeah, and there's risk involved in everything. Uh, the one other one I will say, speaking of risk involved, is Miles Jack, and that one is one that I think there was a true divide in the medical field mm-hmm. on what that injury would be. And yep. to this point, we're going into that part of his career where people thought, uh oh. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But so far, it's been fine. That uh, right. listen, Miles Jack did not play well this past year, but it wasn't because of the knee. Right. So so far, the Jags doctors have been right on the knee part of it. Mm-hmm. But we are entering that part of his career that some people the questioned. Flags it wasn't were the first few years. No, that's right. It was the second phase of his career. That's right. Uh, so, And that one always is interesting to me, too, because I really... And, and draft day proved that there was a big medical divide mm-hmm. uh, amongst the teams. And, mm-hmm. and that shows you that and not everybody's aligned yeah. in that as team doctors in what they believe and what they're willing to uh, to do. Uh, How big is Hayden Hurst, by the way? Because he was the last person to sit in this chair, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Yeah, I, am like, I feel like I'm four <laughs> feet tall right now. Yeah. he. Uh, you kind of look it a little <laughs> bit, too. I'm like, hey, guys, can I play along? <laughs> hey, I'm over here. <laughs> hey, play along. Let's, let's actually go right. through. Do you remember your actual day at the Combine, though? Seriously, like what time did you wake up? 
Give, uh, give us one day. Kind of blitz did, through it. I though. mean, did, did you want the day that I, I ran it on my stuff? Obviously, that's that's, yeah, the that's big fine. Day. Like uh, I yeah. got up at six, so, I ate. So as I got up at six. Um, nervous as all get out. So didn't really eat a lot. Um, back did you then, puke? I didn't puke, but back then, believe it or not, I was really a high intensity type of guy. So like nerves were a really big thing for me. So I had my headphones in my warm up, and I was only playing one song the entire time. Can't oh. take a guess what the song was. Oh. Tracy Chapman. Close. Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Yes! I'm not even lying. So for for whatever reason, like that song would just put me at ease. So like, dude, like literally, I can see that. So like literally, uh, I'd be in the warmups with that song on repeat, dude, and just put my hands up. Literally, I'm just getting warmed up, man. This is it. You won't get anywhere else, folks. Right Right here on ESPN 690. Just just, just listen to the words, man. It puts you at ease. It does. So I remember that and everything. Um, yeah, man, then I just, you know, I ran my 40-yard dash first, uh, a little slower than I wanted, but, like, the, the biggest thing that I wanted to do was the broad jump, because I knew if I got the broad jump, what I, what I wanted to get, like, around 10-3 to 10-5, um, I'd make a name for myself, because the broad, we talk about what drills help what, you know. Yeah. The, the broad jump is supposed to exemplify power and explosiveness. Uh-huh. Obviously, being a defensive end, those two things are important, yep. especially from your get-off. So, I know I could put up a, a big broad jump number, and this is where I lost a lot of respect for the combine, Okay. I ended up jumping, I think, at 10-5, which was the highest of the all defensive ends. So I was happy with that. But I was also in the outside linebackers group, and I wanted to get the highest number in that group as well. Right. Dude by the name of Coy Misi, who, if you see the, 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 the Utah thing on my helmet there, played in the senior ball as well, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yep, there it is. Yep. That's his sticker right there, and he's, he's a great guy. Guy by the name of Coy Misi. Well, you know how it goes in the combine. It, it goes by alphabetical order. So, L-M. So, he jumped right after me. Okay. Oh. Now, here's where I have an issue with the combine, and maybe they change this rule. So, I jumped my 10-3, 10-5, whatever. 10-5 is what you said. Yeah, I think it was 10-5. So, I jumped my 10-5. Koi Misi goes to the scout. I don't remember who the scout was that was managing this drill. Goes to the scout and has, says, hey, can you mark off where Lane jumped? And the guy's, <laughs> and then the guy's like looking around like, what? And he's like, can you just mark, like, he put like a little tape measure, like a little piece of tape where from, Lane jumped. From where you took off. From where I took, no, yeah. no, from, from, from where I landed. Well, from where you landed. From where you landed. Okay. Yeah. And, and the guy's like, I basically not, had one goal in mind. Yes. Yeah. And the guy's like, I'm not sure if I can do that. And Corey's like, well, just do it. And the guy's like, all right. <laughs> so the guy literally took a piece of tape and marked where I jumped. So now Koi Macy has like the advantage of seeing exactly where he has to jump to. I mean, yeah. the, the whole point of the broad jump, man, is to look straight forward and yeah. just lunge out. And go as far. Now, yeah. Koi He's Macy, got motivation. So now Koi Macy has a, a looking point. Yeah. And truth be told, jumps further than I did. I'm ticked, and I go, well, can I, can you mark his now? Yeah. And the guy's like, well, can I, the guy's like, get the hell out of line. Yeah. I'm going to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, what happened? What, are we on the playground yeah, Exactly, man. I'm like, are there any kind of rules? Is this Thunderdome? Just, well, there's no rules here. So um, I bet that changed the rule that year. There is, man, there is. But then also, too, the, the, the vertical jump. Mm. And the vertical jump, there was a little rule going around. I think I showed it on the show before. I don't think you can do this anymore, but back in the day, back in 2010. All, way, way back in the day. A decade baggy, ago but, now. Let's be honest, man. Old this is man. still when, when tall tees and baggy shorts were in, right? Mm-hmm. It, it ain't like these, you know, these short cutoff gym shorts. Now yeah. like LeBron James oh, you wear in a cage. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little, little man hammock. But, <laughs> 
So, needless to say, I'm rocking these Under Armour shorts that go past my knees. Now, there's always a, a little trick in the vertical jump that you could do where, because the way it works is that you have to stand straight first, you have to put your hand up, and then uh, that measures where your hand goes, right, right. and then obviously, so, yes. and then you jump after that. Yes. Well, when you got the baggy shorts on, They can't on, tell man. if your legs are straight. Exactly. Oh, so, so guess what? genius. So, you ended up uh, kind of bending you down may, a little you get, bit, You can man. fake it just a little. Oh, for sure. How, so many inches, how many extra inches did you get? Oh, I probably two, got three? about two, three inches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. man, you know what I'm saying? So, Ooh, see, but yeah. that's that's smart. Oh yeah, that's man. how thinking the opposition. Yeah, sometimes you got to bend the rules in football little too. Games I, say, I mean, if I'm a coach, I'm thinking this guy's yeah. who I want on my yeah, team. Absolutely. All right, so we're really finish it up quick. Yeah, so you I mean, go through your drills, but yeah. then you get some dinner, and then you have meetings. All until when? Like when do you? No. So actually, so the the, the, the drills was the last thing you do, and, and then you're oh, home okay. free. So I mean, so it was earlier where all the meetings you know, kind of yeah, exactly. sleep deprived you. And I'll say this too, you know, being a kid from Murray State, where I only had two pairs of football cleats the entire season, I had to make them worse. One of the coolest things about the combine, spots by Under Armour. I walk in my suite, and I'm not even exaggerating, man. There's probably like 10 or 12 bags of just free stuff yeah. for me. And, yeah. dude, you better believe, like, most guys are like, oh, cool. You know, like, whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, we're talking about LeGarrette Blount. It's like they just went to another bowl game. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah. we're Where am about, I going to put all this well, stuff? Exactly. We're talking about yeah. LeGarrette Blunt at the senior bowl for practice. He had three different helmets at Oregon game. Yeah. Three wow. different helmets for practice. Wow. But you know me, dude. I'm like, oh, swag for days. So, like, I'm taking pictures in the mirror. I'm showing all my friends. Like, dude, check out all this free gear that I just got. Uh, probably a little more excited than I should have been. But then, obviously, then it's Austin just Austin hasn't meetings. gone shopping since. <laughs> I think I was 276 pounds at the combine, so I saw all, all, my, all my gear and everything, but it doesn't fit me anymore. So <laughs> I'd 30 pounds ago, man. Dude, it's crazy. That's that crazy. is nuts. I know, man. Uh, so a little uh, day in the life at the NFL combine. Mm-hmm. How late was your latest meeting? Oof. Uh, like, like a team meeting? No, as a whole, no like, just, a, um, like uh, an interview meeting. Pro- probably 11.45, midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The idea there is to get you sleep deprived, so you you are your guard is down, right? For I sure. mean, that's they want to see the real you. Yeah, and, and I've been on record before, and I'll probably talk about this later on in the show, Brent. But like, and the questions that I get asked, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think they've kind of mellowed out a little bit. Yeah, because some of those well, have gotten some out. of them they yeah. basically said that's flat out harassment at times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I thought it was really telling from Hayden Hurst too, who we had in on Friday, because let's be honest, that guy had to go through a little dark stretch here yeah. in South Carolina and like talking to him about it, they didn't really bring it up too much. Yeah. Where, where I feel like if it was back in 2010, man, they would have drilled, uh, they, they drilled yeah. him on it for sure. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I think it has gotten better. We're going to get out of here, but uh, John Bachman, 5 p.m., CBS 47, Fox 30, uh, the Dow not doing well. Uh, I was just, uh, a couple downer stories really. You got uh, Kobe's public memorial. Yeah. Uh, news out. Just say downer story, but it was a very well, it was uh, a nice beautiful ceremony. And, uh, yes, yeah. of course. But uh, news out of that is, of course, is his wife is suing the uh, the yeah. helicopter company, saying the pilot was reckless and whatnot. So, um, so there's that. I would uh, say I was a little surprised to hear that on this day. I was too. I was too. And who knows how that came about? Yeah. Whether I mean, you know, it was probably filed. Maybe it was filed last week, and yeah. it just today's Monday, and you know what I mean. Like somebody's watching that. Um, you know, from the AP, and they 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 discovered it today. I mean, who yeah. knows what the intent was? Uh, whether it was in, intended to yeah, come out today? Yeah, today, no, yeah. but, but it, something came. Also, to so be they fair, it. John, because you know the, the the pilot is also deceased. So then, who would? Well, pay the, com- the company the, he the worked company for. Would. Okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and I don't know the name that's of that company. They're but that's who they're suing against. Okay. The company. It's not against the pilot. it's not. But they are claiming the pilot was reckless, and that. That, well, anyway, so gotcha. so there's that. So yeah, that we we're covering both the the beautiful aspect of the tributes. Of course, I saw Jordan was crying. I'm sure, there's another meme there. Yeah, he even um, said that. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, there's that. And then, yeah, the Dow is, I mean, it, the futures were bad going into today. We, we all kind of knew this Why? was coming. Coronavirus mainly oh, okay. and what it's doing to China's economy and that directly impacts I our you. economy. So um, Apple's had to slow down production. Apple's a huge engine, uh, obviously. So and and others for I mean every aspect of the economy. So that has hit hard today. Dow is down the uh, Dow down more than a thousand points. Wow! In one day, Oof. I mean, it, it, painful. So don't hear hear it from me. Do not check your 401k today. No. It's not worth it. You're in for the long haul, folks. Don't check it today. You might want to keep from checking it for the next couple of days. Hopefully, it'll bounce back. It'll rally, or I'm taking oh. it out and putting it under my mattress. No, don't, do, don't do that. Don't do that. Go buy bonds, at least. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks um, for your advice. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what year? <laughs> bonds? What year is this? I'm what? kidding. No, I know, I know, man. I know. I thought you were going to say, we'll I was going to say, people still put money under their mattress. I don't know what you were going to say. <laughs> no, man. Yeah. Way too many we moved to, still moved to the refrigerator Bombs, now. Though, the yeah. freezer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bunch of other stuff. What else you got? Uh, that's it. Uh, 5 p.m. CBS 47, yeah. Fox 30. Uh, John Bachman, Tanika Hughes, Mike Borish, Action Sports Shacks team. And we'll be on the road in Indianapolis next couple of days. Have reports on TV. Are you guys both going well. or are you staying back here? I'm chilling, man. I'm going to train it up. All right. Do you, you talk about the Fury fight already? Yeah, we, we did. did a little right. bit. Did you watch it? I didn't watch it, but I, I, I was telling my buddies. I said I think he's going to win. You're so I, right. I mean, you, you know, should right. put money on it. Once again, I didn't put money on it though. So. Really, Tiger, by the way, sixteen to one to win the Masters. Is that right? Sixteen to one. Hundred bucks. Seems high, but the way you play the last action? tournament, I mean, that's it, pretty hot action, right? I think that's pretty good. I'm going to put some money on it. Okay, Actually, I okay. like Tony Finau thirty to one. Ooh. Oh, oh man. Right. I'd rather take Tiger at sixteen to one. Yeah, might want to that do course, that. That course is experience. Might want to do that and withhold my four hundred one k contribution. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> you might have a better choice on that, or a better chance on that. How the Jags should look at the Patriots as a learning lesson. Next, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six ninety. You know, he's the best. He's just a unique kid in the, in that. You know, the way he approaches the game and the way he plays. And I'm telling you, we don't we don't call a ton of plays for him. It's all done within the flow of what we're doing. And he's figuring out how he can get position and uh, where we can get him the ball. And our guys are figuring out, too, as I said. So, you know, we have to be a team that play in, in flow so that we don't get into the isolation situations. Kuz with the blindfold pick there of the sound. Alvin Gentry <laughs> of the Pelicans. Very just, relatable here on a Monday. Hey, he's talking about his Zion. Hand in the grab bag, man. Pull something out. See hey, what you get. He's talking about Zion. He's doing really well. <laughs> Zion who? What? <laughs> Who's is that right now? Oh, man. <laughs> I want to say, it's a grab. Every time you say grab bag, I think about uh, Martin, our buddy over at Palm Beach Autographs. They've got some cool grab bags. Grab like, bags, you go out man. there, you get yeah. that grab bag. We See gave one away in our one year. Yeah, we did. Now we're going to put an, a picture of Alvin Gentry in one. <laughs> Can we get that, Martin? <laughs> Alvin Gentry maybe, grab bag? Maybe Zion would be better. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, Cruz, I, I see what you're trying to do there, man. Obviously, you're, you can have the audio from the Sixers Bucks game now because <laughs> nope. we know how that panned nope. out for everybody. <laughs> You guys just clinched, by the way. I know. I know. Uh, earliest, uh, ever or earliest in like 15 years? Earliest 15. ever. No. Oh, that was earliest ever because they, they beat the record of the Warriors. I, I think saw I it was the 15. last 15 years oh, okay, or something Okay, maybe like the last 15. Yeah. But the, it was the, re- the Warriors that had believe, the like, before. Like the Chicago Bulls, when they went, what, well, I guess the Warriors would have been close to that, too. When they did the 72 win, yeah, yeah probably. 
Yeah, I mean, does it feel good to quench when it's in February? Yeah, <laughs> does it really does. They did it on a day they weren't even playing, yeah, too. I mean, by the way, Giannis, Giannis is going to sit the remainder of the year. Yeah, I mean, hey. This <laughs> is, this he is, honestly <laughs> might be able to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. This is just me, you know, <laughs> sitting back in my chair of fandom, hitting the cruise control button on February 24th. It feels good. Just being honest, guys. <laughs> and I'm over here sitting in the room. Yeah. The Sixers room's on fire. I'm that mean that's it's fine. Yeah. Is Joel Embiid going to stay? What's going to happen there? Well, now just, Ben Simmons I back. Know. You saw. Yeah. Why are you going to play a guy if he's injured? <laughs> You're going to get me upset. Oh, that's the gift that keeps on giving, Brent. Oh, the 76ers. I love it. They are uh, amazing mm-hmm. in a bad way. Surprisingly, <laughs> the uh, all right. Uh, this is my last segment coming up. Uh, we got bowling and falling a little bit later on. You got a little fury and wilder, a little bit more from the combine. Some of your stories. Oh yeah, uh, the combine will continue. They've already been good. Miley Cyrus making it on the show yeah, here today. Yeah, and someone just said that I'm going to lose my man card for playing Miley Cyrus. Yeah, I didn't think that would go over too well. Hey, but you know, once again, it's me. And do I really care though? Yeah, no, I would say like, yeah, really. you probably don't have to be too concerned with somebody saying you're going to lose your man card. I'm, I'm I'm all set, man. Me, I'm I might take it a little bit more personal. Oh, dude, I would go to- hide in the corner. I would totally embrace it if you were rocking Molly Cyrus at like a baseball <laughs> combine. But it is what it is, man. To each their own. Absolutely, to yeah. each your own. Uh, all right, here's the deal. I'm watching. Yeah, I, I, I tease this a little bit, but yeah, I want to get into this today because I, I just can't escape the parallels. Saturday, I'm watching this uh, Better with Age, is what it was called. Uh, ESPN. Jeremy Schaap did on Drew Bledsoe. It was fascinating. You know, they're sitting there drinking wine, basically talking about his winery, but also weaving in the story of the whole thing with the Patriots. And I, it's a little bit different for me. I was there in New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't at that game. I was actually back in the studio for that game. But uh, I was in the New England for that time frame, you know, when Bledsoe was the guy and then Brady became the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most poignant transitions in sports history mm-hmm. so it just i watched this thing the other day and i could not believe the parallels to the jaguars right now and i, and I believe right now the jaguars i think the the franchise uh heck i even think the city to a degree i think the football roster it, it, they're at a major crossroads here in jacksonville mm-hmm. this is a big year in a lot of ways it's a big time frame maybe it's 12 18 24 months i don't know what it is but it's a big time frame in my opinion uh, I've said it many times. I, I believe we're living what the history books will tell us about the Jaguars and the city of Jacksonville and what it will look like in 10, 15, 20 years. I just I genuinely believe that. Well, if you go back 20 years, I was kind of living in what the history books did tell us 20 years later uh, about the Patriots. So it does hit home a little bit differently, even though I must make this clear. I'm not a Patriots fan. I know most people associate the fact that I'm from there that I'm with. I'm, I'm not. wasn't a Patriots fan. But I did follow along closely enough with the Bledsoe stuff, and Bledsoe was very well liked. He hadn't got him to the 96 Super Bowl. He was a rocket arm guy. To be honest with you, he wasn't as well liked as his numbers showed. I mean, he had Hall of Fame kind of numbers, Drew Bledsoe, in his career. Mm-hmm. And at the time, when when he was done. So, uh, and and I also kind of forgot that the, they traded him to the Bills and he made a Pro Bowl like that next year. I kind of felt like he was all done, yeah, but he wasn't. Was he over. still played some good football. Mm-hmm. Bottom line in this, here's the quick parallels. Okay, yeah, six-round picks with Minshew. But beyond that, you had the veteran QB. Now, Bledsoe a little bit different because he was homegrown. He had this great relationship with Robert Kraft and all this other stuff. So it was an emotional tie. Foles isn't an emotional tie to anyone here in Jacksonville as much as like Bledsoe was. But he just got an $88 million contract last year. Bledsoe had just received the biggest contract in the history of the league, 10 years, $103 million, mm. two decades ago. Wow. How about that? That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the biggest one. Yeah. 
And so it's pocket they had now. just given him the keys to the franchise for the next decade. I forgot about that part of the story. And, well, this franchise gave the keys to Nick Foles mm-hmm. for the next few years uh, with that contract. And the other difference maker here is Minshew came in last year. That was his rookie season. Brady had been there a year mm-hmm. and comes in week two and then, you know, kind of the rest is history. The other thing that was fascinating, I thought, is everybody in New England, and, and Bledsoe said this in the interview, that you could tell Brady was pretty sharp, like he was pretty good. But he was he likened him to Jason Garrett. He was a career backup. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's going to be in the league a, a while as a backup, but that's it. Like he had been around Brady for a year, and still that was the thought process on Brady, is that he's going to be a backup. Isn't that wild that it doesn't jump out to you that he's going to be something more? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll give you a couple other things that were, were fascinating to me in in what was said. There were teammates of Brady's at the time when he went in there. He quietly said to some teammates, he ain't getting his job back. Like That's how much swag the guy had. Dang. Well, I can tell you this. Minshew, I don't know what he said to teammates, but the people that have been around Minshew, the people that know Minshew, mm-hmm. the people that I talked to when I went home to Brandon, Mississippi, they said something similar like, don't expect them to just give that job back. Sure. And it kind of played out that way last year, right? Yeah. I mean, well, it was a big decision, yep. and he ends up getting the job back, and now here we are in this part of the conversation. And we ended up talking about it before, but his whole demeanor in interviews changed, where it was like, I hope you guys never see me. You know, like, I hope you, if, if I go in there, something's <laughs> Absolutely. up. It went to that, so it's like, this is my teammate. That's you right. know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm the best rookie in the NFL and right now. Quickly. And things like that. Exactly. Quickly. And, and, this, and, and yeah. I think that's kind of the, like, to liken it to the Brady situation. Now, I want to make one thing clear. I'm not trying to liken Minshew and Foles and all the, and the Jags to what the Bradys have been for the last two decades. Uh, Brady and, and Patriots have been for the last two decades. Listen, we might never see that again in sports. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. What we're asking in Jacksonville is this guy, the franchise quarterback. And, and what that means, I don't know. Does that mean playoffs every couple of years? Does that mean more eight and eights? Does that mean Super Bowl? I don't know what that means. But I'm just saying the situation back there in 2000, 2001, in those couple of years, and especially in 2001, is not that different than what Doug Marone, Foles, Minshew, the Jags faced last year and continue to face right now. Mm. And this is where I find the most fascinating part. Belichick did not waver. Belichick said, this is my guy. We're on a roll. He's my guy. And he's my guy not now, not just for like this week gives us the best chance to win, but He's my guy going forward. And when he got hurt, I was there this game, at AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh. Bledsoe comes in. He's the hero. And the big story of that week was who was he going to start in the Super Bowl? And he went with Brady again. So he actually picked Brady twice over Bledsoe in the same season and said, I'm going with him even though Drew's healthy. How was the reaction when Belichick opted to start Brady over Bledsoe? Because – a major difference here between the storylines in Jacksonville as opposed to New England was Drew Bledsoe had built up a rapport with Patriots fans. You know, he he was already the household name where Foles was kind of the first year guy. I mean, did Belichick face scrutiny when he went with Brady or was it kind of was Brady well received off the get go? For full context, I probably will struggle to tell you what the fans were feeling. I was okay. there, but I, I don't know. I, I don't really I, I, I think it was fine because they were winning. They had won like six games in a row. They started 0-2 that year. Mm -hmm. In fact, the game Bledsoe got hurt, they lost. So they were 0-2. And it didn't look good. 
But then I think because Brady had won, they understood it. And they, I think in the back of their mind, they were like, all right, they're just going to ride this train. It's not like this next two decades. Mm-hmm. They're going to ride the train. Bledsoe's under contract. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll be back, but you got to stick with the hot hand so you get it. What was interesting in that is the players said if you had asked the locker room at that time, there would have been a – if they had to take a lie detector. They, were, they liked both guys. Sure. They were fine with both guys. But it would have been really split on who to go to. Hmm. And they were comfortable with whatever decision, but they also felt really bad for Bledsoe in that decision. And I think in this locker room, I think both are very well respected, very well liked. They are comfortable with both. I think this locker room was like that last year. Uh, they would have been fine with whatever decision Marone made. I didn't think you got a lot of pushback on that. And I think it's probably still the case right now. I think there are some people who say, hey, let's go with the kid. He's a dog, right? Yeah. There are other people like, have you seen what Foles has done? Mm. You see what he's done since he's got here? I, I think more so than the fans. We know where the fans fit uh, in the Jags situation. All right, so what am I getting at in the, in the bottom line here? Belichick, I just told you, made two decisions to go with Brady over Bledsoe. And it turned out to be the right decisions both times. He had no idea if it was going to be the right decision. But genius Bill is partly genius Bill because he made two correct decisions. Mm-hmm. One that year that led him into that the postseason and beyond. And then one in that Super Bowl that started to write the history books of Brady and the legacy of the Patriots and everything else. And then the rest, obviously, as you know, is history. My point here is Doug Marone, arguably... Last year, when given the chance to make this decision, you can argue because of the way it worked out that they had to go back to Minshew, made the wrong decision. Now, at the time, in my opinion, he made the right one. Mm -hmm. I didn't think Minshew did enough in that game. I thought Foles would give you a little bit more coming off. I think he had more experience. If I had to win right now, I would have gone with Foles in that situation, too. Not going to be a hypocrite. That's what I said. I think for the future, people were saying, hey, let's ride with Minshew and see what we have. But for the here and now, I don't think there was a ton of... That's the wrong decision. That's the wrong decision. There might have been a bit, but it wasn't this overwhelming amount. Bottom line is history now showed us, shows us that, well, Foles came in and didn't do anything. Had two bad games. Had a really good drive against Indy to start it, but after that, nothing. And they went back to Minshew. So, Doug, we'll never know how that would have played out. Would Minshew have beaten Indy? Could they have kept the role? Could they have kept the consistency? Did they have to change everything up? We don't know. But because they struggled and... In doing so, lost five straight games. You can make the case that it was a wrong decision. Well, here we are again. And now in 2020, many people didn't believe Doug Marone would get another chance at this decision. But he's back. And he now has a chance to make this decision again. Minshew or Foles. And I can't sit here and tell you which one is the exact right decision. I think we've all said now over the last couple of months, Minshew is the decision I would make because you got to see what you got mm-hmm. in the guy. What will he do? He gets a second crack at it. My point of the whole thing is Belichick was two for two in making that call. And then they eventually traded away Bledsoe and all the rest. Right now, Marone's 0 for 1. Mm-hmm. And is 500 good enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can he get to 1 and 1? Yeah. And if he goes 0 and 2, he's, got, he's without a job yeah. after this year. Yeah. So to me, it was just fascinating yeah. to watch it Saturday night. And I know I understand, listen, if you listen, you know a lot of the story there. But if you watch this and what we're doing right now in Jacksonville, what's going on in Jacksonville, the parallels there uh, of just the decision alone at the QB spot and the and the money, the veteran nature versus the young kid, the unknown, the backup guy, all that stuff. Maroon's getting another chance at this call, man. He's got to get it right. 
you mentioned Tom Brady coming in and saying that Drew Bledsoe wasn't getting his job back. All right, and you mentioned, you know, he kind of had that dog from the get-go. All right, now granted, he wasn't a rookie then, but he was still a young guy. He was a six-round pick out of Michigan. All right, and I'll be honest with you, man, I remember watching Tom Brady in college because I was I watched a lot of Michigan football. He wasn't no Brian Greasy dude. I was a Brian Greasy guy all day, so I thought like <laughs> Tom Brady coming in, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know. But you you mentioned that comment. He ain't getting his job back. And we've heard the sound bites with Minshew as well. This I don't want to call it cockiness because there's a fine line between cockiness and confidence. And I think in between those things is where the hard work is and where just the intelligence is. And I think Gardner Minshew has the latter. I think Gardner Minshew is confident. And then all of a sudden we hear him kind of go back on his words a little bit at the Super Bowl and saying, you know what, I, I really shouldn't have said what I said regarding you know how good I was as a rookie. Does that kind of rub you the wrong way, though? Because to me, like with Tom Brady, yes, Tom Brady is a great quarterback. He's a great decision maker. He was in a great system. But to me, what sets Tom Brady apart from a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, even until this day, is the fact that he has this aura about him. He has that. He is the GOAT. He is Tom Brady, and you can't stop him. And I think Gardner Minshew is starting to show that a little bit. To me, the last thing you want to see, Brent, is Gardner Minshew having someone come up talking to him like, hey, man, you got to ease up a little bit, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you know, we're, we're getting all these sound bites. They're not making you sound the best. You know, like we were trying to paint you in this better picture. I guess from my perspective is I want Gardner Minshew to obviously be himself, but I also still want him to have a little bit of that. Maybe you can call it arrogance. You can call it confidence. But I want him to have that it because that's what Tom Brady had coming up. I don't think he's going to lose that it just okay. based off pulling back. I don't know if anybody got in his ear about it. I think... I think it might have been even more him, and maybe somebody did get in his ear. Mm-hmm. But I just think he 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 wanted to be a little bit careful for that to be the narrative of yeah these other guys suck and I'm the man even though I was six round pick you know yeah because that's the way it can be taken now. But I agree with you. Listen, I asked him. I said why do you, why do you apologize for that man? Mm-hmm. So what? It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think behind it doesn't matter what he's saying in front of a mic as much sure, in that it's, regard. It's, it's what he's, he's saying in the, in the building and what people. You know, does he Good still point. have that? You know, and does he have that kahunas? Yeah, yeah. You know, Brady showed that he did, mm-hmm. and has for two decades. Uh, and again, this you got to be really careful. It's not a comparison of he's going to be like Tom Brady. The Jags going to be like the Patriots. I'm just saying you the the situation is similar on which way down the road you're going to take. One other quick thought. Bledsoe could have derailed that thing if he was a bad apple. End up being a good teammate there. Mm-hmm. Foles showed that last year, too. Uh, I've heard great things about Foles and how he was with Minshew while he was on the bench and even the second time. And I would think he'd be that way again. I just think that's who Nick Foles is. So uh, fascinating situation to watch. And by the way, the Jags fell in love with Minshew in the interview room at the Combine last year. We're going to the Combine. In fact, I'm going right now. Austin's got the last hour. Talk a little Fury Wilder. Talk more about the Combine stories from 2010 and beyond. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 rolls on right after this. Things like this happen. Um, the best man won tonight, but my 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 my, trend, my coat, my side grew in the towel. You know what I'm saying? I had a lot of things going on coming into this fight, but it is what it is. You know, my I, I was already my leg was already re coming in due to other little things. But you know, I make no excuses tonight. I just wish that my corner would have let me win out on my. Shit. I'm a warrior, and that's what I do. You know what I'm saying? It's no excuses, and we come back and be stronger. Former heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder, um, along with some high-pitched sounds that 
straight out of scanners, it sounded like. So apologies for that. No worries. But, yeah, I mean, you know, that uh, that was definitely probably the story of the weekend was Tyson Fury um, putting Dante Wilder down, getting the TKO, the, the corner throwing the towel. And number one, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to talk about this fight. And number one thing I want to talk about, first of all, is the response to Wilder after the fight. Okay, now we'll get into we'll, we'll I'll, I'll dive into what went wrong for Wilder and what he did wrong and what the camp did wrong and all this stuff. But first of all, to go on Twitter, to to go on Facebook and say that this guy is not even a boxer that he's been lucky his entire career. Very cool. The guy's got 41 knockouts, okay? Before that Tyson Fury fight, he was 42 0 and 1 had never lost, had knocked out 41 people. I don't think people understand just how impressive of a resume that really is. This is a guy who in every one of his fights except one has knocked out his opponent. Do you know how hard that is to do? Do you know how hard it is to go in a ring and be like, you know, some days you're just not feeling it during a fight, maybe go to decision? No, this guy has knocked out everybody he's faced. So to come out and say, Dante Wilder's not really a boxer, he's a brawler, he's not that good, he's overrated, let's get serious, man, okay? This guy is one of the biggest power punchers of all time, if not the biggest. And with all due respect to Mike Tyson, because I get it, man, back in the day, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, He's a little before my time. I kind of caught the Mike Tyson hype towards the end. I get it. Mike Tyson was a must-see attraction, but you cannot fault Deontay Wilder, man. The, the guy is still legit as they come, and even though he got you know he got finished in this past fight, um, you can't take nothing away from him. His resume speaks for itself, and also props obviously goes to Tyson Fury. And I was very adamant in saying that I thought Deontay Wilder would put Tyson Fury on his back again. And I, I didn't see Tyson Fury getting up. You heard the rumors all through camp. Tyson Fury is adding a lot of weight, which, let's be honest, he did. If you watch the weigh-ins, Tyson Fury weighed in a sweatshirt, didn't take his shirt off. They usually say when that happens, if, if a fighter weighs in with his shirt on, it means that he hasn't been training well and he's he's got a sloppy belly, and it probably means that, he wasn't really training and, and doing his best uh, to get in shape. Obviously, maybe that's a little games and shit from Tyson Fury's camp. Maybe the rumors of him hurting his ankle were true and he couldn't train like he wanted. But the fact of the matter is the guy came in weighing 276 pounds. Okay? And I get it. You're 6'9", 276 pounds. So y your length kind of stretches it out a little bit. But if you saw Tyson Fury weigh in, one would think, you know what, man? In terms of being in shape and stature, and I get it, man. He, he's always kind of a little bit on the chubby side, but I, I said, like, man, I don't think this guy's been training a lot. I think this guy's actually the injury concerns are real. And then you have Deontay Wilder, who looks like he was chiseled from stone, weighs in at 230. Now, granted, that's about 15 extra pounds from his first fight against Tyson Fury, but I wasn't concerned. I, I saw a guy who um, had lean muscle mass, who looked to be in shape, who obviously all he needs is one punch to finish the fight. So I was excited for Deontay Wilder. And when we had Deontay Wilder on the show on Friday, I asked him one major question. And to me, the way he answered the question was very telling about how that this fight went down. I asked Deontay Wilder if he believed the rumors that Tyson Fury was going to add weight. And instead of always doing what Tyson Fury does, where he dances around the ring, uses his footwork and his head movement, Tyson Fury would come at Deontay Wilder. And then to paraphrase what Deontay Wilder told us at ESPN 690, he basically said, 
there's no way Tyson Fury is going to do that. It would be dumb of Tyson Fury to do that. And I was in that camp as well. I thought if Tyson Fury tried to go at Deontay Wilder, it would be game over for Tyson Fury. Because, number one, no one's done it. And for good reason. Because all it takes is one shot from Wilder, and you're on your back. And especially how the first fight went with Tyson Fury, where he used movement, he used the savviness, he won 10 of 12 rounds. One could think, you know what, man? If you just stay long for 12 rounds, and you don't make any mistakes like you did in the first fight, you're going to outbox Wilder, you're going to win. So... I honestly didn't foresee Tyson Fury coming downhill. I thought that was all gamesmanship on Tyson's Fury on Tyson's Fury's part, but it wasn't. And give props to Tyson Fury for doing that. He fires his head coach, a guy who really got him back in the sport of boxing after Tyson Fury ballooned up to 400 pounds. Yeah, that's right, 400 pounds. And he cut all that weight with a guy by the name of Ben Davison. And Ben Davison, to be fair, is a younger kid, um, a lot younger than Tyson Fury, but he's got a great boxing mind. So when Tyson Fury dropped his old trainer before this fight, well, then obviously speculation starts to go, well, what's going on with, the, with this camp? I mean, he's dropping his trainer, the guy who got him out of the slums, who, who, who got him out of that 400-pound weight gain and back into being the champion that he is. Why would he fire his coach? And the answer is simple. Tyson Fury realized that the only way to defend, to, to you know, to beat Deontay Wilder definitively, is to go at him. And the coach that he had, that he had in his corner, understood that as well. So what we saw transpire Saturday night was a Deontay Wilder who didn't expect Tyson Fury to come at him. And it was a Deontay Wilder who has never felt pressure like that with a 270-pound man in his entire life. And what we had from Tyson Fury's perspective, it was a guy who said what he's going to do the entire week, said he's going to come downhill and knock Dante Wilder out in early rounds. And I sat here along with a lot of people and said there's no way he's going to do that because it's not a smart move. Well, Tyson Fury did it. He literally looked down the barrel of a gun and said, you know what, either I'm going to get my you-know-what knocked out on national television in front of millions and millions of people, or I'm going to come downhill and I'm going to be called the mad genius for making this work. And Tyson Fury, at the end of the night, is the mad genius because he did come downhill. Deontay Wilder was not ready for the pressure. He was not ready to fight off his back foot. And it was evident because usually if a fighter comes at you and you're Deontay Wilder, what you want to do is you want to move out of the way, you want to pivot and use your footwork. We didn't see that. Every single time Tyson Fury came downhill on Deontay Wilder, Deontay would have his back to the ropes. He would take some shots. Tyson Fury would wrap him up. And obviously, being 270 pounds, that gasses you out, man. And that's exactly what happened. Once again, Deontay Wilder, if you listen to that, the presser coming back into the show, said he, he had a messed up knee going into the fight. That's a possibility. I, I, I'm not going to fault him for that because his knees did look a little wobbly. Now, one could say also, if you have blood coming out of your ear, that your equilibrium is going to be messed up a little bit. And I'm here to tell you that's absolutely the case. I, I remember... This would have been almost two years ago now. I fought a guy in South Carolina, and I ended up fracturing his eye socket. And in doing so, there was blood everywhere. There was blood all over the announcers. There was blood all over myself. But actually, and as gross as this sounds, um, I actually got his blood in my ear. And the thing with blood is, obviously, that's oily. So it's not like water where well, eventually water just dries up, right? But blood, it takes a little longer. So there's the oil in your ear. And I remember walking after the fight out of the cage with you know my opponent's blood in my ear, thinking like, 
dude, I don't like, I, I just feel out of it. And it wasn't that I got punched because I really didn't take any hard shots. I just thought like, dude, there's something wrong um, with my head, man. I don't know what's going on. Well, doctor checked it out. I had his blood in my ear, so I had to get that taken care of. So for Deontay Wilder, and they haven't really announced the injuries yet, whether it was a ruptured eardrum or whatever it was, but for Deontay Wilder to be bleeding out of his ear for the whole fight, man, I, I'm here to tell you firsthand that your body is not going to respond like you want it to when that's happening. And I think that was evident as well. So props to Tyson Fury, man. He said what he was going to do. He did it. And now he's the biggest star in, in, in all of boxing. And I'm giving props to Deontay Wilder, too, man. It was a hell of a run. And this is why boxing is so fickle. Because a guy like Andy Ruiz, who to, to the casual boxing fan may not know, Andy Ruiz was this Mexican heavyweight, the first Mexican heavyweight champion, who took on a guy by the name of Anthony Joshua from England. Fought him um, in, in New York. Andy Ruiz was this guy that got the last-minute call-up to fight Joshua. supposed to be a squash match. Andy Ruiz ends up beating Anthony Joshua. One of the biggest upsets in all of boxing. Andrew Ruiz is now the man, the first Mexican heavyweight fighter. And the cool thing about Andrew Ruiz is the fact that he looked like an everyday guy. Like he, You think Tyson Fury kind of looked out of shape a little bit with a beer belly? Well, go ahead and add, add another 30, 40 pounds to Andrew Ruiz and go ahead and take about six to seven inches off of Andrew Ruiz. And that's what you got as your heavyweight champion of a fighter. All right? It was just he was a complete anomaly next to Anthony Joshua, who once again looks like he was chiseled from stone. So Andy Ruiz beats Anthony Joshua. They have the rematch in England, Joshua stomping grounds. I'm sorry, no, they had the match in Saudi Arabia, um, you know, a big money fight, and Anthony Joshua wins. And now nobody is talking about Andy Ruiz. He just lost one time, just one loss. But and the world has forgotten about Andy Ruiz now. And this is where what Brent and I were talking about earlier in the show comes into play. With Deontay Wilder, the way it works in boxing is that you have 30 days after you lose your belt to say if you want to fight for the belt again and have a rematch. Obviously, the way Deontay Wilder went out with his corner throwing in the towel, which was obviously the right decision, I'm sure there's a little animosity, there's some anger built up right now in Deontay Wilder, and he wants to try to get this fight back, obviously. I would just ask, though, that him, uh, Deontay Wilder and his camp, pumps the brakes just a little bit and evaluates right now the landscape of professional boxing. If I'm Deontay Wilder, man, and I get it, you want to get that one back. And, and you're the former champ, so you have a right to get it back. That's in the rules. But you have to ask yourself going forward, if you're Deontay Wilder, do you really feel like you have the skill set right now to beat Tyson Fury? Because Tyson Fury, if anything that he's shown in his past career is the fact that Tyson Fury can adapt to any situation. He can change up his style. The guy's had the same style for the past 10, 15 years of boxing. And all of a sudden, he completely changes it up this last fight against Dante Wilder. So you have a guy in Tyson Fury who's always willing to evolve and always willing to adapt depending who he's going against. That's a dangerous fighter. And you have Deontay Wilder, who's always been known for one trick, and that's the right hand. Now, don't get it twisted. It's a fantastic trick. It got you 41 KOs. But eventually, guys can get hip to that one trick. So if I'm Deontay Wilder, I get wanting to get that fight back. I get wanting to, you know, clear your name and everything like that. But you got to understand. Tyson Fury is a different cat right now, and I'm not sure with the skill set if Deontay Wilder is on that same level. And keep in mind, if Deontay Wilder was to ask for that rematch and it goes the same way again, well, then you have another Andy Ruiz on your hands. 
and you just have a guy with Deontay Wilder who lost twice in a row who is nothing more than a trivia question, you know, at the bar. And I don't want that for Deontay Wilder. I, 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 I want to see Deontay Wilder flourish in the world of boxing for a long time to come. All right, now he's like 33, 34 years old, so in terms of age, he is up there. But with the amount of damage that Deontay Wilder has taken, it hasn't been a lot set aside from this last Fury fight. So I think as far as his body is concerned, it's still there. But the last thing I want to see is Deontay Wilder not be ready to have the rematch with Tyson Fury, Wilder get beat again, and then he's an afterthought. That's not what professional boxing needs right now. Professional boxing needs the hype still. They still need Wilder to be that guy. And that's why I say if I'm the boxing gods right now, if I'm the promoters, I get Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. It may not do that that good in the States, to tell you the truth, but in England, where both of these fighters are from, we're talking give me the biggest soccer stadium that you can think of. Go ahead and add to it, add extra seating, do it in the middle. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know like what big holidays there are across the pond. Do it during a national holiday over there, and you got yourself a boxing match, man. Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, who's the best fighter out of England? Enough said. I mean, the, the story is going to write itself. So that's the fight that I'm looking for next for Tyson Fury. We'll wait and see. Once again, Deontay Wilder has 30 days to try to put in his rematch clause. We'll see what happens from that aspect. But I think the next fight to make for sure is Tyson Fury and uh, Anthony Joshua. Because we got a little of the happy hour horn here before we transition to some more combine stories. Grab a drink. Get a shot. Tip your star ten durs. I love every single time I can just freestyle it. That was a genius little part in your thing there, Kuz. Uh, just kind of let me just be me, man. I appreciate that. But that was the happy hour horn. Hopefully you guys are enjoying a nice happy hour on a Monday, if that is the case. It's a beautiful day here in Jacksonville to do it. Uh, my co-host Brett Martin right now flying or on the way to flying to Indianapolis. I think more there it's going to be maybe grabbing a coffee or a hot chocolate and put a little rum in there for happy hour. But uh, I'm sure it's a little more chilly in Indianapolis than it is in Jacksonville. And speaking of Indianapolis, boy, do I have more stories to tell about the combine. I got everything. I have comedy. I have, well, I have a lot of comedy to tell. Um, not so much tragedy. I, if you want to talk about a four nine forty being tragedy, maybe you can call that a little bit. But hey, I ran a four eight nine, and as far as I'm concerned, it's a straight up four eight. And don't let anybody tell you differently. But more when we come back on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We got a lot more combine stories. Do a little balling and falling. Maybe a little hockey talk, too. One of the biggest stories out of the weekend, actually, a Zamboni driver making the headlines. We'll talk about that and much more here on ESPN 690. Me and my wife went to a game at the Forum. I didn't know nothing about Kobe, but she did. She was like, you heard about that young kid we got? I was there really to see Shaq. He, she was like, yeah, he, uh, he's supposed to be taking Brandy to the prom. And and <laughs> Check him out. And I'm like, okay. And uh, I saw him go up and dunk. And I saw how his body moved and how elastic he was. And he dunked. And I, said, I looked at her. I said, man, we ain't never had nothing like that before. NBA scout Ice Cube 
talking about elasticity in terms of dunking ability. Uh, but obviously talking about Kobe Bryant, man, and just, um, you know, the, the hype that that dude generated right from the get-go out of high school, uh, it was something to behold as well. Uh, Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks, ESPN 690, joined today, well, with Kuz right now, but also my co-host Brent Martineau, who was joining us in the first hour, uh, opted to fly to Indianapolis today for the NFL Combine. Hopefully he hits up the Wild Beaver Saloon, downtown Indianapolis, a very great drinking establishment if i do say so myself brings me back to the days of we're there i was there for the super bowl actually it was in indianapolis um at the wild beaver saloon because the way the super bowl works it's funny you know like if you're a player and you know and you go to the super bowl it's all about the parties right so you can go to the maxim magazine party you can go to the espn party you can go to the sports illustrated party i mean there's tons of parties that you hit up and like for me man it kind of just there was something about waiting in line that I was never about, right? Like, I, I just, I don't need the glitz and the glam. I just need uh, a beer in my hand. You know, and that's going to be a country song, by the way, Kuz. Go ahead and write that down, and we'll, we'll get into that later. But um, I didn't need much. So I ended up hitting up this spot called the Wild Beaver Saloon, downtown Indianapolis, kind of off the beaten path a little bit. But lo and behold, who else is in there sharing my kind of same mindset? Former, uh, well, yeah, former offensive tackle, Future NFL Hall of Famer Joe Thomas of the Cleveland Browns was also in there. You know, and Joe Thomas being the Wisconsin guy, we had some mutual friends. So me and Joe Thomas sitting in the Wild Beaver Saloon, throwing him back, man. And you want to talk about one of the best tackles of the NFL, it's Joe Thomas, right? I mean, the, the, the guy, his consistency, what he had to endure, and yes, endure in Cleveland um, cannot be praised enough. But you want to know how a guy is athletic. When a 6'3", 6'4", 300-pound gentleman in his prime gets on top of a stool at a bar and proceeds to do the robot, because that's what Joe Thomas did. And when he did that, lo and behold, I was like, yeah, there, I mean, yes, you're, you're one of the best offensive tackles of all time, but you're also one of the best dancers when it comes to doing the robot, and you're also 300 pounds and 6'4", 6'5". That, that's not fair. I mean, he completely shut the place down. So shout out to Joe Thomas, man. Shout out to the Wild Beaver Saloon. And uh, wishing Brent Martineau and also Stuart Weber of Action Sports Jacks will be joining him as well uh, for the week at the Combine. And when we talk about the Combine, obviously it's something that I went through in Indianapolis. Um, my thoughts of the Combine now are almost a complete 180 from what they were going into the combine back in 2010, right? Because, you know, it's something that you grew up watching as a kid, obviously, so you know the importance of it. You you know that it's a chance to kind of put your name on the map, especially being from a small school like I was. It was a chance to get on TV, which, let's be honest, Murray State games were not on a lot of TVs back in the college days, so obviously I embraced that as well. But it's literally... It's a job interview. Kuz, and I'm not sure how many job interviews you've ever had in your, in your entire life. I mean, I'm sure you've had a couple, right? A lot. Okay. See, this was my very first job interview because my prior jobs before, you know, pursuing a career in the NFL, I worked at a golf course where basically I washed clubs the whole time, and that interview process involved me just going up to the boss saying, hey, uh, I heard you guys are hiring. I'm interested. Okay. Sign up this form. Done. Okay. Cool. And I got the job. And then my other job was in landscaping, and that was in college. And literally all that was is I go to the boss, I'm like, hey, here you guys are hiring. 
Yep, we are. Okay, cool. Um, do you know how to get to work a weed whacker? Yeah, sure. Do you know how to work a, you know, a lawnmower? Yeah, and if not, I can figure it out. All right, cool. Welcome aboard. So those are my interview processes, okay? So in terms of the interviews that I've come from, not a lot of experience. So to me, like, yeah, the 40-yard dash and all that stuff, like, dude, I was ready for that. I mean, I, I knew realistically what I was going to run. I knew I was going to I was gonna jump. Didn't know I was going to be sleep-deprived the whole time. Didn't really matter, though. I fought through it. I had Miley Cyrus, part of the USA, on my headphones, and you couldn't tell me anything. So I was ready for the physical parts of it. But what they didn't prep for, and when I say prep for, when I was training for the combine, you know, I mean, they go all out. I was in Pensacola. I had a spot at the beach that my agent put me up. We had specialists come in and talk to us about the Wonderlick test. I wasn't concerned about the Wonderlick test at all. I mean, they're pretty open and shut answers. There's a lot of guys, not going to name any names, not going to call anybody out, that were sweating bullets just thinking about the Wonderlick test. I was fine from that aspect. But what they didn't prep me for... And what nobody told me about was the crazy questions that I was about to experience, right? Because the first day of the NFL Combine coups, I'm walking out of my hotel room. I'm feeling good, dude. And I'm like SpongeBob SquarePants when he goes to work. I'm ready. I'm ready. Go SpongeBob. Go SpongeBob. Dude, I'm excited. I'm stoked. This is an NFL Combine. This is like the greatest of the great NFL players under one roof. I get to show out. And guess what? When it comes to talking to people, I thought I did a pretty good job of that. So I wasn't really nervous, essentially, for the interview process. Well, that quickly changed because as the interviews go by, you know, and I meet with the team here, meet with the team here. And keep in mind, when I see, say I meet with the team here, meet with the team there, it's not necessarily I'm talking to the head coach. I'm not talking to a position coach. I'm talking to a scout or an intern who just got on the team, who's fresh out of college, and is probably looking for an excuse to tell his scout buddies, hey, guess what I asked Austin Lant the combine today? Check this out. And they laugh over it over a beer. Okay, that's what I was walking into, and I was not prepped for. So literally the very first day, and so my very first interviews, I'm sitting across from a gentleman. Once again, I'm very polite. You know, I'm trying to approach this like I'm talking to a police officer. Yes, sir. No, sir. Trying to make that good first impression. And they asked me some questions. For instance, it would be like, all right, so you played in a 425. How'd you like that? Uh, I love playing a 425. You know, it gave me the freedom to drop back in coverage a little bit. I love rushing the passer, obviously, as my numbers indicate. So I felt like playing the 425, it kind of geared me up for the 3 4 hybrid life um, in the NFL. All right, great, 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 great. Um, talk to us about your senior season. Okay, well, senior season went good. You know, obviously, I had people gunning for me. I faced a lot more double teams, sometimes even triple teamed. But I felt like, you know, overall, our defense put me in the spot to succeed. Okay, great, 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 great. Do you find your mother attractive? Uh, what, what, what? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you find your mother attractive? And, like, I go from football mode of trying to recount my senior year to all of a sudden, do I find my mother attractive? And I remember I get asked that question, and I take offense to it, okay, because I don't know where this conversation is going now. So I just respond back by, and you know me, a little bit of a smart ass. I go from talking to the police officer, yes, sir, no, sir, absolutely, sir, to now I'm like, oh, okay, so, so now you want to cross some lines. Check this out. And I go, what does that have to do with football? And I'll never forget, the scout goes, interesting, hard to coach, huh? And I go, no, man, I'm just seriously asking you a question. Like, what does me finding my mother attractive have to do with me on the football field? And he goes, are you, are you hard to coach or not? So then eventually it got to the point where I'm like, 
I think my mom's a beautiful woman, but no, I don't find her attractive. Like, is that what you want to hear? And then we just went on from there and talked more football. But, like, that wasn't the only time, though, man. This happened on multiple occasions. It would be, talk to us again about EKU. What happened to EKU? Oh, man, you know, it, it was a rainy game. Um, you know, they're one of our biggest rivals. Um, you know, I had two sacks that game. It went really well, but unfortunately, we couldn't pull it out at the end, and that falls on the defense, and that falls on me as well. Um, you know, there, there was an outside stretch play. I got reached. That falls on me. We win the game, and I'll take sole responsibility if I have to. All right, great, great, great. If you could kill somebody with a knife or a gun, what would it be? Um, I thought we were talking about EKU in my game against them, but I don't know. I guess a gun because it would be easier. Like, what do you want me to tell you, man? You know, and, and these questions went on and on and on. And probably, the, I mean, no offense to my mom because that was a very personal question, but the very most personal story. And once again, these aren't these aren't coaches. These are just scouts. I don't know who these people are. I, I've never wikipedia these people. I've never had these people come in and talk to me on, on my college campus. I don't know who these people are. They could be just moonlighting as a scout and not even be part of the NFL. But the, well, I'll give you guys an example of you know one more real quick. This is exactly how it went down. I'm sitting at the table. Guy comes up to me. Oh, Austin, good to see you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How, how's it going? And once again, I'm talking to a police officer. I'm trying to be respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'm here to compete. All the buzzwords. All the buzzwords. Okay. Talk to us about your junior year. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, um, that's really kind of burst on the scene a little bit. Things started to click for me in the pass rush game a little more. I definitely took my offseason conditioning a lot more serious. Um, I had great coaches, great teammates around me that pushed me. Obviously, having Danny Blakemore as a three technique really helped me out a lot because he also demanded double teams, made my job a lot easier. We had Blake Booth on the other side of the defensive end and Jamal Crook. They were fantastic at also, you know, getting after the quarterback. So it made my job a lot easier. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. All right. Yeah, it's a great answer. Great answer. Uh, why do you play the game of football? Uh, to be fair, uh, you know, uh, I play the game of football because I want to be a champion, you know, and when I get to the NFL, I want to be a Super Bowl champion. That's, I think that's why we should all play the game. You know, I, I have dreams of hoisting the, you know, that trophy up in the air and doing the snow angels in the, in the, you know, in the confetti. And like, that's what I envision for myself when I get to the NFL. Great answer. Great answer. Great answer. That's awesome. Boxers or briefs? What? Boxers or briefs? And, like, once again, you know, I, 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 I raised the question. What does this have to do with football? What does me wearing something a little more restrictive or a little more, you know, free-yielding have to do with football? And, once again, I present the question, and once again, I get the same answer. Oh, so you're not coachable. You can't answer the question. So that's what I had to deal with at the NFL Combine. And keep in mind, that's an appetizer. I got asked a lot more questions than that, okay? That's just, I, I, we only have so much time on the show here. I talk about other topics as well. But that's what I had to deal with. And it's funny because I get asked all that stuff, and like the good soldier that I was, didn't really reveal anything. Right, never talked about it. Didn't want to be the guy to snitch on the NFL. Just thought that's how it was, man. You get asked these crazy questions, these personal crazy questions about your mother, about whether you would kill somebody, and that's just the lay of the land. And you know, at that time, being whatever, 22, 23 years old, I was naive. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just go with the flow. But then looking back on it, man, when I was retired and I actually I shared all these questions that I was asked on Twitter, I was like, no, man. 
that's not right. And I think now, you know, and there's the whole scene with Des Bryant, um, you know, something about his mom being a stripper or something they asked him, which is, once again, what does that have to do with football? But I think now, you know, talking to Hayden Hurst on Friday and Hayden Hurst having to go through all his, you know, trials and tribulations at South Carolina, by what I gathered from Hayden Hurst talking about his combine experience, what it sounds like now is that they're a lot more laid back in the questions, especially that the scouts ask. Right, like the, the, they don't cross the lines of of being super personal because they probably know people are going to leak it and it's going to make them look bad, you know. And, and and that was never the one, and I'm still not the one to sit here on a radio show or go on Twitter. I'll share what was said to me, but I'm never going to say what teams it was. Okay, I'm, I'm never going to throw a team underneath the bus. I don't want to bring any you know trials and tribulations to them. I'm just telling what happened. So. From that experience right there, and once again, being a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kid, essentially, I thought that's how it was. You know, it wasn't until I got older where it was like, man, looking back on it, that was pretty messed up. And maybe I would have handled myself a little differently if I had a little more experience, a little more maturity to me. I thought I handled those questions um, to the best of my abilities. But it is refreshing now that to hear, for the most part, you don't hear these crazy stories anymore. And obviously during this combine... It's a weak shindig, so I'll be sharing more and more stories with you, um, you know, as the week transpires. I mean, it's funny because you had you have your scout meetings and then you had your team meetings and the, the the scout meetings, which were just an absolute crap show compared to the team meetings, where it seems like you're in Goodfellas sitting in front of 20 people in a dark room and the spotlight's on you. It's almost like you get getting brought in for questioning and it's bad cop, bad cop, bad cop, bad cop, bad cop. So that's kind of what like the team meetings are all about. Maybe I'll share some more of that, um, you know, as the week progresses. But dude, it's just it's so crazy that the, the, the combine like you have this idea of what it is. And for the casual NFL fan, you may tune in, you may see, you, you may see a guy run his forty yard dash in a spandex, but you have no idea what's going through that guy's mind. That guy is tired. That guy is not expecting all the the lack of sleep. The crazy questions, the crazy team meetings, all the MRIs. It's just, it's a different animal, man. But once again, you get through that, and then it's the home stretch, and then it's the NFL draft. So shout out to all the guys participating in the combine this week. Hope you guys will get asked any crazy questions. <coughs> and if you do, hey, don't be afraid to share it, man. Be coachable. Be Yeah, be coachable, man. I mean, hey, would you kill? Was, uh, let me ask you that question. If you could kill somebody, what would it be? Knife or a gun? Can the answer be I wouldn't? No, see, and I tried that, too, and he's like, no, you have to answer the question. Like, See, they're so big on you have to answer the question how it was presented to you. Because, yeah, any normal human being who's not a sociopath would answer that question and be like, I wouldn't? No, I asked you a question. Knife or gun? Well, what would you do? I, I, I don't so, know. So, what does this have to do with football? Well, exactly. And it's funny. And actually, I asked the scout this question one time. I'm like, dude, I got asked this question in the combine. What does it mean? And essentially what he told me was, if you said knife, it means you're more personal. You're more like personable and you can be coachable, I guess, more because you enjoy like the interaction of being face-to-face as opposed to a guy who uses a gun who's farther away from somebody oh, who could be distant. Once again... These scouts are not Harvard graduates of psychology, so who knows? More on ESPN 690 (laughs) when we get back with Ballin' and Fallin' uh, as well. 
I didn't really know. I, like I said, I had a couple text messages that told me to get in there, and I hadn't seen the footage. I was in the media room kind of by myself, and the guy comes in and get going, so get ready, and uh, walk down the tunnel, and it was wild. It was pretty fun. Oh, what a great segue to Ballin' and Fallin', Coos. Nicely done. Ballin', obviously, there's a lot to go off of. I could go with the XFL with a player trading. What did he trade? Oh, traded the game ball for a box of Girl Scout cookies. I, I could go that. I think there were Thin Mints, by the way. So, you know, trash. You saw the other player from the XFL do the bite the top off the um, yeah. white claw? Super aggressive. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that was really cool. Once again, Thin Mints, you know where I stand in them, Coos. They're pretty awesome. Trash. The, the, it, it is the most basic cookie. The wall well, set aside from what's well, like the, the, the shortbread ones. Those yeah. are the most basic. But it, it's a close second from Thin Mints. It's the white claw of Girl Scout cookies. I'm going to say that the shortbreads are the Starbucks whatevers of the you know the cookie world. And yes, the Thin Mints are the white claws of the, the cookie world. If you got a problem with it, uh, I guess you can just kind of deal with it because that's just how I feel, man. Okay? That's Austin at... <laughs> <laughs> f- f- find me on Twitter and let me know what you think about it. But anyways, getting back to Ballin' and Fallin', the voice of David Ayers, man. Um, listen, if you guys haven't been following the story, which I feel like everybody should now, Carolina Hurricanes playing in Toronto over the weekend. And obviously the Carolina Hurricanes are the team last year that were quoted by being called a bunch of jerks because of their post-game shenanigans when they won. So they're already kind of like NHL's ragtag, having a good time kind of bunch. And either you love them or you're kind of like an old-school hockey guy, you can't stand them. But either way, you're talking about them. So the Hurricanes kind of already had that kind of, I guess, aura around them. Well, then enter... Toronto Maple Leafs, first goalie gets hurt. Second goalie gets hurt. And the way it works in the NHL is is that if you're down two goalies, because I think you can only suit up, if I'm not mistaken, you suit up 18 skaters and two goalies. Well, if both those goalies go down, you have the option for the emergency goaltender. And that's what transpired over the weekend here, as David Ayers was the emergency goaltender for both teams in Toronto, a Toronto resident, plays on a uh, like a club team uh, for the Maple Leafs, I believe, but is also the Zamboni driver. So this dude goes in, in the middle of like the, the second period, by the way. There, there's, there's still like half a game left to play. This guy goes in, and on the first three shots, allows two goals. So not off to a good start. All right. Moment might have been a little too big for him. And it's like, wow, what went from a Disney story is now going to be a Netflix story of all just how it all went wrong. But the guy gathers himself. The team rallies around him. And number one, he ends up winning the game. And number two, actually makes some pretty legit saves. Now, Toronto Maple Leafs. If you only only put up like 10 shots against this guy in half a game, not a good look on your part. Right? So that kind of falls in the Maple Leafs, but I'm not going to let the hate disrupt David Ayers and all his greatness for coming up off the streets, off the Zamboni, coming into the game, and willing the Carolina Hurricanes to a victory. Do we have the audio of when he went in the locker room? And I'm pretty sure it's all censored out, too, as well, because this is a hockey locker room, and... There is some cussing every fingers once in a while. Fingers crossed, because I haven't listened. Okay, well, fingers crossed for both people, and then maybe if not, we have the dump button right there. Tell you what, I'll be quick here. Get up, get up, get up. 
We talked about business. We talked about family. We talked about everything. And he was just trying to be a better person. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, to me, it's awesome, man, that Jordan actually acknowledged it. You know, and like, to me and... I get it, man. Memes or whatever. You know, like, I get a lot of them probably aren't for me. I'm probably getting older and everything like that. But I still love a good meme like everybody else. And and to me, the, the, the crying Jordan meme, it's special because it's Michael Jordan, right? Like, Michael Jordan, for as big as of, of a star that he was, and he was the face of the NBA, he's really the face of my childhood, set aside from Brett Favre and Ken Griffey Jr., it's Michael Jordan. And with Michael Jordan, man, like, you don't really see him in the public a lot. Like, you, you don't really see him at, you know, team functions. You don't really see him around. So, like, you know, when, when you saw a picture of him crying, I was like, wow, Michael Jordan's crying? That's crazy. And then, obviously, you know, on a very somber day to come out for the Kobe Bryant celebration, to give a very eloquent speech like he did, and then kind of acknowledge the fact, you know, with tears running down his cheeks, the fact that he's going to be probably another crying Jordan meme. I thought it, you know, in the... In the light of uh, of the darkness, which is, you know, Kobe Bryant's death and just the tragedy that it has, and it's still a tragedy, and it's never not going to be a tragedy, I think that Michael Jordan is bringing up something so random like a crying Jordan meme, man. It adds a little light to it, and it rallies people around the sport of the NBA and the sport of basketball in general, and that's what people got to do, man. You got to keep on talking about Kobe and keeping that memory alive and just keep having the, the smiles that people have. So with Austin Lane, my co-host Brent Martin on his way to Indianapolis, we'll be back here tomorrow. Brent from Indianapolis, me from the home base, Kuz as well. Have a great night. We'll see you guys tomorrow. ESPN 690 and Action Sports Jacks. The Players' Championship is almost here. Hey everybody, this is Brent Martineau. Do you have your tickets yet? Win a couple of weekly Captain's Club tickets and a shopping spree in the new PGA Tour fan shop with me. Yeah, I'll dress you for the players. Enter to win right now on the contest page at ESPN690.com. Win tickets to the Players' Championship and a shopping spree at the Players' Championship from ESPN 690. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.